And I got something that I want to say to Ric Flair. Cheerful. Because you know what? Ric Flair, you are a piece of on the bottom of my shoe. Oh, boy. And brother, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to scrape off that and flush your ass down the toilet personally. <laughs> Eric said this is going to be an even playing field. And we're going to start a new day right now tonight. So, Jeff, I'm going to ask you to hand that U.S. title over to me. That's right, Jeff. All titles will be stripped tonight. It'll be a brand new playing field. Come on, Sid. Hand it over. What do you want to do? You want to lay me out, Sid? Come on, Sid. You know you can do it. Hell, I know you can do it. But here's what will happen. I'll heal. And when I get done healing, I'll spend the rest of my life knowing that you're unemployed. So here's the deal. Either lay me out, take your chances, or hand over the belt. It's your choice, big man. What's he going to do? What can he do? Hell, I've been beat up before. It won't be the last time. What a dilemma. Give the belt to Bischoff. Or go down to Can't find your scissors? Wow! Ooh. Sid. Sid, what's the matter, Sid? Can't find your scissors? Come on, Sid, give the boss the belt. Come on, man. Hello and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. My name is Eric Landstrom and today we're hopping in the time machine to go back to April 2000 down to WCW. I'm joined today in what's going to be a chocked full volume. First by Daniel DeWitt. Daniel, how are you today? I'm good, thank you. Um, it's an interesting month to, to go through of, of TV, but looking forward to getting, getting, getting through it all. And uh, pulling a double shot, I understand, uh, Bob Calling. Bob, how are you? Uh, I'm doing well. I'm glad I was able to make my double shot, unlike maybe some performers who no-show and skip out. But uh, I made a commitment, and I'm here to go through seemingly a new era of WCW, which ironically, in about three weeks' time, there's about four different new eras that take place. But uh, it should be interesting to see how this all plays out. Interesting is certainly one way uh, to put it. Uh, before we get in uh, to WCW, we do have two other volumes this month. Uh, volume one 
will deal with WWF as well as ECW uh, TV uh, with Lacey. Uh, we have lots to get to uh, this month. Bob, do you have the headlines? Uh, what was old is new again. Yes, as promised, WCW reset effective the April 10 Nitro. Vince Russo and Eric Bischoff cut scathing promos on past WCW management, Hulk Hogan, and Ric Flair, just to name a few. Jeff Jarrett will be the focal point of the Russo and Bischoff-led New Breed faction against the WCW stalwarts, principally Ric Flair, Lex Luger, Sting, DDP, and Hogan, who we've learned will be called the Millionaire's Club. The April 10 Nitro saw several work shoot promos and the beginning of several feuds, including Hulk Hogan and Kidman, Sting and Vampiro, Shane Douglas and Ric Flair, and the debuting Mike Awesome and Kevin Nash. Joining Awesome in the fold included Douglas, Sean Stasiak, WWF's Meat, and Bret Hart, although not wrestling. The new on-screen leaders, Russo and Bischoff, also vacated every title and scheduled new champs to be crowned at Spring Stampede. For what it's worth, backstage morale is said to be up generally, with most of the locker room glad there appears to be a long-term plan, even considering the controversial Russo and Bischoff at the helm. Goldberg also appeared after the camera stopped rolling on the 10th Nitro. His official return date is now said to be May or June. And ratings spiked for that April 10 Nitro reboot, climbing back over a three for the first time in a while. But by month's end, they were back to new pre-new blood levels in the low to mid twos compared to WWF's white hot consistent six and sevens. The hotshot booking of the last two weeks of the month were said to be uh, a response to internal concerns that the meddling April 17 Nitro, so just one week later, was a sign that Russo and Bischoff could not sustain the modest bump they'd seen the week prior. Not awesome if you're ECW. Yes, Mike Awesome, the ECW champion, no-showed ECW house shows on April 6 and 7 in preparation for his surprise debut on the April 10 Nitro. Of course, his surprise debut is now fraught with legal wranglings, or at least it was. Paul Heyman uh, is claiming he had a three-year contract with Awesome, but Awesome contends he never signed a contract. In the days before Awesome's April 10 debut, ECW and WCW agreed that Awesome would not carry the ECW title onto Nitro, and that WCW would plug ECW and ECW on TNN. It sort of happened. Um, It's almost guaranteed WCW also paid ECW a sum of cash uh, to help settle the dispute between the companies and freed up Awesome to continue on WCW TV the rest of the month and onward. Softball Sid returns. After being stripped of the world title on April 10 and moved from a reported main event program with Hogan to a mid-card program with The Wall, Sid was a no-show at Nitro to close the month. It has now been reported Sid underwent an elective procedure on his elbow, which will hold him out for an indefinite period. On the other hand, it is the springtime, and pitchers and catchers have already reported. Spring Stampede, at least it wasn't boring. Spring Stampede uh, took place on April 16 in Chicago in front of a reported 12,556 fans, 8,337 paid, although in a building that holds 21,000 for basketball. Uh, The 14-match show, yes, Dan, uh, 14 matches, uh, was built to crown uh, crown new champions across the board 
with the odds stacked in favor of Russo and Bischoff's new breed against the Millionaires Club. Coming out of the event, Terry Funk was the new hardcore champion, Chris Candido the cruiserweight champion, Shane Douglas and Buff Bagwell the tag champs, Scott Steiner the U.S. champion, and Jeff Jarrett your new world champion. And for those completionists wondering about the television title, the best we can deduce is that it's been retired as of April 10th, meaning Jim Duggan will be your last ever television champion. That's world champion Deputy Dewey to you. This month saw four men hold the WCW world title. The month began with Sid as the champ. Sid was stripped on April 10th. Jarrett captured the belt at Spring Stampede. Jarrett then dropped it to DDP eight days later on Nitro. And two days after that, on the 26th April Thunder, in a tag match between Jeff Jarrett and Eric Bischoff against DDP and actor David Arquette, Arquette stole the pin on Bischoff to capture the world title. Arquette is the star of the new movie Ready to Rumble, which opened to tepid reviews and even more tepid box office returns earlier this month. The film is co-branded with WCW and features several WCW stars. The diminutive Arquette is also known from the 1996 film Scream and for being married to much much more famous Friends actress Courtney Cox. The decision to put the belt on Arquette was said to be a last-minute Russo call to generate publicity and spike interest in WCW. Because Slamboree is on May 7th, it looks nearly certain David Arquette will headline that show against DDP, Jarrett, or both for the WCW world title. We will cover the controversial decision to put the belt on Arquette later in the show. I just got off the phone with Scott, and you know what? Scott's straight, Scott's sober, and Scott's in a real bad mood. So why don't we cut to the chase, boys? But you know what? The way I look at it, Neither one of you two guys would be here right now if it wasn't for Scott and I. Russo, you know for a fact, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, when you were in the World Wrestling Federation, saved you from being decapitated from Shawn Michaels on numerous occasions. Wow. Oh, boy. You ever thought you'd hear that on this program? Never. And you, Easy, if it wasn't for the Outsiders, There'd have been no NWO, and you know what? You'd still be bringing Bert Gagne's coffee up in Minnesota. Ouch. We're shooting here. You guys want us out? You want me out? Hey, buddy, you two guys, it's real simple. But if you're going to come down here, bring your bat, bring your chair, most importantly, bring your... Oh, boy. Message heard and received, I guess. Wait, hang on. What's this? Holy. That's, that is Mike Awesome. He's the, he's the heavyweight champion of ECW. The last time we saw him, he had that belt. What's he doing here? Doesn't he have some kind of title defense? 
He's got a lot of nerves just walking on this program. Mike Awesome, the ECW World Heavyweight Champion, just wiped out Kevin Nash. What next? Oh. Daniel, I don't know if you're keeping up with ECW these days, but we have the ECW champion jumping ship to WCW. That doesn't happen every day. No, it doesn't. I mean, past few years, or five years or so, we've been used to people jumping from WWF to WCW, TCW, and somewhere in between, but not usually current champions. Usually they're the ones who not protected but the ones who don't jump because obviously they're the champions of whatever promotion they're in so to see a uh, reigning champion on appearing on nitro was was surprising uh, more like more so than most usual jumps yeah and you know we're kind of in this bubble here for the show where most of us most of us are at least in the know about what's happening with ecw we go out of our way to watch it and it's still not always the easiest to find although it's on TNN now, but Bob, uh, you're you're a guy who's in the weeds like I am and like Dan. But do you think that a guy like Mike Awesome, even being ECW champion, has the ripple effect that it it even maybe should have? In other words, did Mike Awesome appearing as ECW champion matter? Um, I don't really think so. I mean, Mike Awesome was kind of is relatively really known in japan and stuff like that and coming into ecw with masato tanaka and those great matches i think i mean ecw really is is very niche at this point and i don't if you were to have a collective group of wrestling fans in a room and they say mike awesome you know comparatively to the top guys in wwf um I, i don't think a lot of people are going to prefer him i'm a huge mike awesome fan so him coming into wcw I'm on board with it. I think he has potential for having some really great matches. But like what you're mentioning for the ratings, you know, going back down to, you know, mid twos after a brief bump up from uh, April 10th, do I really think that Mike Awesome is going to move the needle in that regard? Probably not. Um, there's a lot of different things that you have to do with WCW to even try to get there. And judging by the reasoning with uh, David Arquette to be champion to kind of bring interest into WCW, just shows you how out of touch they are as to what is going to put more eyes onto your product. Uh, but, you know, I'll get into that later. But I, I don't really think that Mike Awesome moves the needle or really makes a big deal, a big splash for WCW programming and ratings and stuff like that. I, to me, him coming in, ECW World Champion or not, it might be, a, you know, one or two weeks of like, hey, this guy's here, and then he's just there. So I don't really think it's a, a longstanding beneficial move. Yeah, and I feel like they – I haven't been impressed. And you're a bigger Mike Austin fan than I am. I've always kind of thought that there was something missing from the guy. Charisma. Um, yeah, yeah, something like that. I mean, he's got the physical – I mean, he's he's an absolute physical monster, especially against the smaller ECW guys. Um, but that kind of – my larger issue with this is it looks like they're going to program him against Nash. And Mike Austin's a big guy, but – but Nash is much bigger, and there's a lot of guys that are much bigger than Mike Awesome in ECW. I mean, even you look at a guy like like a Bam Bam or a Wall, who, guys who maybe are big but not huge for the WWF and, and WCW, but certainly Bam Bam, we've seen him stand out as a giant in ECW. 
the wall. We've compared him to 911, another guy who, when we saw him in WCW, kind of got lost in the shuffle too, just because, you know, six seven in Philadelphia is not the same as six seven in Atlanta. And Mike Awesome, who's six five, six six, two sixty, two sixty five, he looks like an absolute monster against Mikey Whipwreck and Spike Dudley and Masato Tanaka and Rob Van Dam and against average schlubs like the Sandman and Tommy Dreamer. But you put him up against Nash, who, when he's motivated, can be built like a Greek god. Daniel, am I off base here, or, or would you do you agree that you would have at least started Mike Awesome against some smaller guys to build him up as this monster? No, I no, I agree. It, if you want to build him as as sort of the new big man on campus, so to speak, you, you'd put him against someone like the Cruiserweight stuff, get him a few months of, of squashes or, or something like that. I mean, yeah, I, I get the idea of bringing him in and having a, like attacking Nash as sort of the, the initial sort of shock value. But yeah, when, when that match sort of comes to fruition, when Nash, when Nash is sort of uh, fully fit again, yeah, if Nash is sort of fully motivated, fully up for it, then he's just going to kind of dwarf awesome really, isn't he? As a, he, as the proven sort of multi-time world champion sort of, build as a seven seven footer he's gonna yeah i mean he could easily just no so and do nothing for mike awesome then yeah mike where's mike awesome left being yet another big-ish guy uh company full of big-ish guys right when we saw him this month we saw him against scott steiner for example and scott steiner's not you know he's a he's a very wide man and he's a very muscular man but he's not tall and I guarantee you Scott Steiner has some weight over Mike Awesome. And that, I mean, Scott Steiner is not somebody who's been historically considered a monster. WCW needs to be careful with this because they have a guy who can be an absolute monster, probably monster heel at the top of the card if he's done right. I would love to see a Mike Awesome Hogan match. I think that would be really fun. Um, but yeah, so far, I don't know. I may have just brought him in a little bit differently, but that's not how things are being done anymore uh, bob any more thoughts on the mike awesome situation uh you're a guy who's in the know for ecw too lacy will cover that over there but you know how, how do you think this impacts not only wcw but ecw and, and then kind of the relationship between the companies in regard with mike awesome in, in wcw I, I agree that he needs to be working with smaller guys i don't at least initially not like kevin Nash and stuff but i think a, a major problem with that is that a lot of those uh smaller guys are kind of with the new blood which is kind of where Mike Awesome seems like he is uh, attached to. Sure. I don't really think you want to incorporate infighting with that group like so quickly. You know what I mean? Like some, I know a lot of times like a stable will be created or a group, and then within a month like somebody gets you know annoyed or whatever, and they have infighting. But I think the new blood, uh, you know, needs to have a unity together at least for a little while. So I think you know in terms of options of who you can go with, you know, obviously a guy like Sting would be ideal but i mean that shouldn't be like a first type of person that you deal with you know, maybe have him involved with uh like booker t or something a, l- a little bit down the rain there a little bit mm-hmm. um if billy kidman was still a baby face that'd be a great option or like a ray mysterio to first come in you know but yeah so i i, I agree he needs he should be having a slow build up into that and then kind of kevin nash being the first target but it seems like they're kind of just hot shotting that which uh, seems to be a trend uh, as for ECW, I think Mike Awesome uh, jumping from that company into WCW is a very big deal, uh, for me at least. Because, you know, when you watch ECW, a lot of guys are 
casual looking dudes. Like Tommy Dreamer looks like a guy you would see on the street. Uh, you know, Raven's a little, little weird or whatever, but uh, you know, Spike Dudley, for instance, they're relatively smaller guys. And this whole thing was kind of derailed for ECW anyway, because there was a strong build for Mike Awesome to eventually have a match with Rob Van Dam for the ECW world title. But unfortunately Van Dam broke his leg uh, in, or his ankle in, in January. So that kind of veered that off completely. And that wasn't, that's not going to happen. So I think for, in terms of like ECW match, quali- match quality, ECW is not going to suffer from this. They have a lot of great, really good wrestlers and they're like super crazy to Jerry kick cash. A lot of smaller guys that can do things. Jerry Lynn among, amongst others. But in terms of like star power, that just larger than life appearance, I think Mike Awesome brought a lot to that. I know for me personally, you know, if I'm watching ECW on TNN or if I get tapes of hardcore TV, you know, seeing a guy like Mike Awesome, he just stands out so much from them to a point where it could also benefit them because when you have a guy like that and you have all these other kind of normal looking guys, it might hurt your product because you're like, well, why the hell is that guy here? And you know, why is this guy beating him and stuff like that? So there's a double-edged sword for it. But I think overall in terms of entertainment and, you know, hey, I want to go, I want to watch ECW for Mike Awesome, uh, it might hurt the company. But luckily for ECW, ECW is built on the brand. They're not really dependent on one person, so it's kind of interchangeable. So at least, I mean, at least ECW was able to get uh, some money out of it and, you know, some hype for their TNN show. So, I mean, in the end, it might work out for them both. When I came to WCW some six months ago, I told everyone that I was the chosen one. I was handpicked to be the next WCW world champion. My future was in the hands of the man who had the biggest hand in turning the WWF around. I know because I was there. Well, somewhere along the way, our master plan got derailed by a pack of good old boys who couldn't compete and weren't even in his league, and they knew it. Well, I've just got one thing to say. Yeah, I just got one thing to say to that bunch of slap nuts sitting at home watching on TV tonight. What goes around comes around. So without further ado, it is my honor and my privilege to introduce you to the man who, who once was Vince McMahon's best kept secret, who will once again change the game. The power is Vince Russo. After giving six years of my life to the World Wrestling Federation, I came to WCW with one thing in mind, and that was to beat Vince McMahon at his own game. And you know what? Within a matter of weeks, the new blood in WCW 
were not only getting back in the game, they were changing the game. And that's when the good old boy network kicked in. Afraid of change, and more importantly, afraid of their jobs, the political BS took place in the back to bring Vince Russo down. And you scum at home know who you are because you're watching me now. And then one day, I'm told that there's going to be a change in direction. A change that I knew sucked. And you know what? I wasn't the only one who knew. Benoit knew. Guerrero knew. Saturn knew. Malenko knew. Douglas knew. And they left. They're gone. Scott Steiner, he knew it, and they suspended his ass. But you know what? That's all over now. It's done. And Vince Russo is back in charge again. And I want to turn around and I want to say something to everybody in this ring. It is over. The old boys' management is over. The inflated egos in the back, afraid to lose their spot, it is over. It is the dawning of a new day. It is your opportunity. Seize that opportunity. What? No way. They're on the same side? Something. This man. Vince Russo and I have more in common than anybody knows. But the big thing is the fact that we were both screwed by the same good old boys network. Vince is right. Those days are over. But it's okay. I don't even mind. And you know why I don't mind? Because it's giving me a hell of an opportunity to think about all the great things I did here in WCW. But it's also given me an opportunity to realize the mistakes I've made. Mistakes like Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, Sting, Diamond Dallas Page. And oh yeah, oh yeah, let's not forget Sid wished he was vicious. But you know what the biggest mistake I've ever made? I mean, this is a real big one. Hulk Hogan. Oh, God. Wait a minute. He's always been a Hogan back. I can't I'm believe I'm sorry. It. I really am sorry. Bischoff. I don't know what the hell you're smoking, but you better step off. <laughs> Screw you, Paige. You want to know something? If it wasn't for me, you wouldn't be here tonight. You'd be schlepping drinks at some rundown redneck bar in the middle of Florida, telling the world that you're friends with Bon Jovi. You know, where were you for the last six months? Well, I've been sitting home unemployed. 
Huh? How about you sing? Who's the guy that rebuilt your career? I'll tell you who it is. The same guy that made Lex Luger a multi-millionaire when the WWF didn't want to have anything else to do with them. That's who it is. Wow. Everything he's saying is true. Everything. And what about you, Sid? Well, I'll tell you what, guys. I made you. I can sure as hell break you. But this time, it's going to be a little more fun. And it's going to be a little more fair. This time, it'll be a level playing field. And you will have heard some of the audio from Vince Russo's show opening promo, as long as comments from Eric Bischoff. Uh, but yeah, we opened the April 10 Nitro, and we're promised a new beginning, and we have a new set, and the roster is in the ring, and it looks like not a lot of stars in there. It looks like a lot of the young guys, a lot of the underneath guys, Brian Nobbs, he's always around, and we have Jeff Jarrett, and Jeff Jarrett's on the stick, and he puts over Vince Russo, and he says Vince Russo was Vince McMahon's best-kept secret. And he introduces Vince Russo. The announcers put Russo over strong as the savior of WCW. And Russo then cuts, which you will have heard, a very inside promo about Jim Ross and about everybody. Um, he, he, this was his scorched earth promo. And Eric Bischoff is out next. And it looks like maybe there's going to be some dissension between the two. But instead they embrace And Bischoff takes a turn on the mic, and he buries everybody. And Bischoff tells us that the new young guys in the ring are going to be the new blood of WCW. And this brings out the people you know, the people you're familiar with, Lex Luger, DDP. And DDP takes his turn on the mic. Then it gets weird. Vince Russo calls out Ric Flair, and he calls Ric Flair a piece of shit on my shoe. It's then announced that all of the titles will be stripped. There's massive Goldberg chants throughout underneath this. And Sid's hesitant. World champion Sid doesn't want to give up his world title. I wouldn't want to give up my world title. I'm sure neither of you would. Eric Bischoff walks up the rampway, goes belly to belly with Sid, and says he'll fire Sid if Sid doesn't give up the world title. And then he asks Sid, what's wrong, Sid? Can't find your scissors? And then he asks Sid again, because the crowd didn't respond. What's wrong, Sid? Can't find your scissors. And Sid hands Eric Bischoff the world title. And that's it. This was a 20-minute opening segment to reboot Nitro. We'll stop there. Daniel, I don't have questions. Just so much happened here. What were your thoughts? It was it was strange. I mean, I kind of like sort of... Uh... Sort of promos opening shows sometimes get to give you like the the laydown of what's going on but for such a big restart just to come from seemingly nowhere i mean we heard about this new era and, and such but yeah just to to completely sort of hit a reset button and go right here no no champions for the time being we'll sort that out down the road and then yeah all the sort of shoot style sort of comments and just Russo and Bischoff laying into sort of the older talents, like mainly Hogan and Flair. It's just a bit bizarre, really. And I, I kind of think I joined the commentary uh, team at the time that Tony and that were sort of bemused by it all. And I'm sort of, yeah, I was just sort of going, 
so what do we do now then? Bob, same question to you, but also we talked months ago about this the Sid build, about how Sid was motivated and he was once again getting over. And then if you listen last month, if you watch the shows last month, they turn him heel for no really good reason. They turn him heel knowing there's going to be a switchover in the creative. And then they basically mas- uh, emasculate him on national television. Bob, same question to you as well as what do you think about them basically throwing away the six months worth of worth of uh, build for Sid? To be honest with you, I, I hate this whole idea of a restart. I mean, your pay-per-view is uh, in six days, right? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, six days. Why not? The, the clear build, <clears throat> judging from like two weeks ago uh, on Nitro, was there to be a Hogan-Sid match. Realistically, the idea probably being to put the title uh, on Hogan. So I don't know why you wouldn't just complete that storyline, put the strap on Hogan at Stampede or, or whenever, and then gradually go into it. I, I think the idea here of, of immediately stripping all the championships is immediately rushed. It's lazy booking, really. Uh, you know, if, if you come into, you know, any new booker that goes into any kind of territory or, or company, they don't necessarily come in and immediately do a restart. They kind of just, hey, this is what I've got. This is how I'm going to get to where I want to be uh, and do it in a coherent manner. And I feel like that would have been uh, the most logical way of doing it. I don't like the partnership here of Russo and Bischoff because it's just way too heel heavy. I understand that your baby faces need to have someone to get heat off of. Uh, but Bischoff kind of being with the Millionaires Club would make a whole lot more sense because that is his guys. Those are the guys that he had a foundation of to make WCW what it is. Yeah. Obviously, Russo has his own group of guys that for sure are far, far weaker than even Le- just Lex Luger, realistically. I mean, that whole group of guys, star power and everything, just dwarfs anything that the New Blood uh, has going on from the get-go. Well, let me, um, let me stop you right there because yeah. this is something that I was going to ask about and, you know, just continue your thought. But, you know, about trying to get all these, the idea is, and they're being very explicit about it, shoot style explicit about it, or at least work shoot, is trying to get all the new guys over. But now it appears that the new guy faction is the heel faction and the baby right. faces are all the millionaires. Immediately, I'm kind of perplexed by this. Yeah, it's backwards. If you, why are, why would you want to build the idea of your company is, hey, these old guys suck. So now you're going to bring in, or not even really bring in, even the people on the new blood are relatively old. Okay. They're not really young guys. A lot Brian, of them have been on Brian TV for, for 10 years. Yeah, for 10 years. Bob Bagwell's been on television for going on nine. You know, he's he's been there for a while. Shane Douglas, too. So it's not like these are fresh faces. They're just kind of being lumped in different things. But, you know, as a viewer... You know, I'm going to be cheering for Hogan. I'm definitely going to be cheering for Sting. A lot of these old timers is I'm going to be rooting for that. I'm not going to be rooting for Jeff Jarrett. I don't want to see Jeff Jarrett in a main event. If I had to choose out of everybody here, I, I just wouldn't. I would want to maybe see Kevin Ash because he has that charisma. He has that way of drawing you in, even if he's not really that good in ring-wise. So, yeah, it's completely backwards. You would want it the other way around. You would want the millionaires to ins- maybe just insult these guys who are clearly making – Better money than any of us, obviously, at this point. But, you know, they've been held back. You know, this would be a perfect place for where the radicals could be involved if they had, you know, stuck around. That could have been your foundation. But now your foundation's like Jeff Jarrett and Booker T. And I wanted to know, like, even when this whole thing was going on, Booker T had a look of, like, (laughs) 
I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I don't know if I want to. He didn't really seem all about that. He's and, the only one kind of pushing back. That's kind of one of the underneath storylines is Booker is the only one right. kind of pushing back on these guys. And another thing, too, is like Russo, I understand you want to do like shoot stuff and you want to be controversial and stuff like that. But, you know, I wonder how many people are tuning into in, tuning into Nitro knowing it's a reboot. And who knows what's going to happen? And like during the promo, Russo's he actually he mentions the radicals by name. He's like he, they knew this place was shitty. They left. Well, that's fine to say that. But you're saying that to new viewers or maybe people returning to the product. Nothing has changed. They're gone. You're basically putting down WSW as being a shitty place to be. So I mean, you're not you're not not really putting it over in, in the grand scheme of things. The whole Sid thing with Bischoff, I thought it was hilarious that he had to repeat the line twice. That just oh, shows so you so cringy. Oof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's it was, I just he's sort of sighed when I when that when that kind of and then yeah to repeat it's like oh yeah okay great yeah it worked for you again. There, I think there's been like interviews in, in magazines and, and whatnot where he kind of downplays the internet like motivation as to like what you want to do. Like I think there was an article in, in WCW magazine upon his return here, but he uh, clearly contradicts that because only people that would read the Observer or maybe look up police reports in their spare time would know that that any of that even happened. So that was just really cringy. Uh, I feel like they're already kind of overcomplicating it. It shouldn't be this difficult to do a reboot. So this is kind of seemingly Vince Russo. I'm gonna I'm gonna say Vince Russo because he seems to be the head of creative, uh, just not knowing the right way to distinguish people on the card. Right, and and for what it's worth, reports are kind of all over the place, but it seems like the idea creatively is that Bischoff is kind of the big picture guy and the liaison between. The corporate office and 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 WCW and Russo's kind of the day in day out uh, scriptwriter. So you're you're right on the money there, Bob, with who's kind of pulling the strings creatively. Uh, we'll keep going here because that was just the first 20 minutes of a two-hour Nitro. <laughs> Buckle up, folks. So Hulk Hogan arrives and Sting fills him in, and Hogan goes looking for his old buddy Eric Bischoff. And we learn that Jeff Jarrett has been shoehorned into the world title match at Spring Stampede. Uh, he's going to take on the winner of a mini tournament between members of the Millionaires Club tonight. We start with DDP versus Buff Bagwell. Oh, I'm sorry, DDP versus Lex Luger, and Buff Bagwell distracts, and DDP wins on the distraction from Buff to move on uh, to face the winner of Sting versus Sid uh, to see who will face Jeff Jarrett for the world title. Are you still with me? Uh, backstage, Kurt Hennig confronts Vince Russo and gets a match with Jeff Jarrett. And Take Abbott comes out and says he isn't a candy-ass wrestler. And then he turns face and beats the shit out of Mark Madden. And it looks like Tank Abbott's gimmick is going to be calling out Goldberg and beating up fans. And that would continue for the next couple of weeks. And backstage, Hulk Hogan confronts Eric Bischoff for a secret meeting. And we see Kidman come to the ring. Kidman says, tonight is my night. And Kidman cuts a work shoot promo on Hogan. Remember that Hogan had made some disparaging comments on, I think it was Bob with a love sponge. It might have been Howard Stern about how Kidman was too small and couldn't headline a flea market. Well, because it was printed in the Observer and in the Torch, it's being worked into a storyline here. And Hogan hits the ring. Among other things, uh, Hulk Hogan calls uh, Kidman P-whipped, and you can't blame him. And then Hogan destroys Kidman. Bischoff comes out, waffles Hogan. 
and Kidman pins Hogan with Bischoff making the three. Daniel, it looks like one of our semi-main event programs is going to be Hulk Hogan and Billy Kidman. What were your thoughts on this arrangement and how it's all being put together? Uh, this is a, a some, somewhat positive sort of side to the New Blood uh, Millionaires Club sort of story we've got going on now to have the um, old established guys face someone different rather than facing each other that they like what Russo and Bischoff being sort of complaining about. So yeah, to have get Kim elevated up to someone like as massive as Hogan is kind of refreshing and kind of different. So yeah, I'm I'm interested to see how it goes really how Hogan works with someone as small as Kidman and likewise the other way around. Bob, there are reports that Hogan has uh, re-upped his contract with WCW and has agreed to put some of these young guys over. Do you think he's going to be able to keep this thing going forward? I feel like you're already laughing. So I feel, uh, I think we both know the answer to that. Well, number one, this is ridiculous. Okay. I'm, I'm a Kidman fan. I think he's a, a very good cruiserweight. He, Suddenly, like overnight sometime in 98, was like, hey, I'm a really good high flyer. Like it came out of nowhere. In the year 2000, really with no previous build up for it, should he be feuding with Hulk Hogan? Is this a money drawing situation here? The answer to that is absolutely not. I wish I had the positivity here of being like, yo, sure, sure, it's new and different. Um, you know, Sam Bowie for the Portland Trailblazers was new and different. Hey, now, uh, how did that lightly. work? Tread lightly. How did that work out? Kidman will bump around for him, you know, and, and Hogan will look very good in the process. Uh, but that's what I'm kind of imagining this being. Can I picture Billy Kidman working over Hulk Hogan for 10 minutes and then Hogan getting his, you know, Hulk up and the crowd going crazy for it? Maybe at a flea market I could, but if you're trying to fill up, you know, the Georgia Dome or something, there's just no way that it's going to be Kidman and Hogan, especially coming out of nowhere, really. I mean, Kidman, prior to this, was like feuding with the Harris brothers or something, and like Prince Iakea. Uh, He was in a tag team with Booker, feuding with Harlem Heat 2000 like four weeks ago. Yeah, right, exactly. You know, so it, it really makes no sense to me. Uh, why wouldn't you try to put Booker T in this spot? You know, try to figure something out and get him some momentum because I've been kind of screaming that for about two years now, you know, to elevate him into something meaningful. Um, but so, no, I mean, maybe in Hogan's mind, putting over the talent, maybe he's considering that pinfall to count. Right. Hey, man, you pin me, brother. You know, yeah, no, I shot off in a horribly timed chair shot and a really bad blade job, but. And that might be his definition of, hey, there's your win. Now I got to get mine back. You know, I don't oh, know. I, to me, it's I, not going to work. You might be right, unfortunately. Yeah, as excited as I am to see um, someone different go against Hogan or and something good for Gidman, this this only really ends one way with, with Hogan beating the odds of Kidman and Bischoff. I didn't mean to like you know let the sail you know let the wind out of your sail so quick. Oh no no, no don't get me wrong I'm, I'm excited to, I'm excited to see something different but no I I totally agree that it's going to ultimately end this, the very same way that everything else does with Hogan with him yeah, on top. Yeah yeah it, 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 it's going to go like a month or two and then by like what June or something he'll be wrestling uh, Chris Candido in the opener for the Cruiserweight Championship I and mean, there's no long lasting. Well, I don't know, he'll be back in the title pitch I'm sure. 
right. Out, no, no, nothing. No, I think I think and God, I hate to be this guy, but you know, this one doesn't pass the eye test to me. And I I, I love the spirit of Hogan agreeing to help give the rub to some of the younger guys. I don't think any of us can complain about that because that's been our our beef with him for a long time. And now he's apparently signed a contract to explicitly help with that. But I don't know if I would have started with Kidman. It's almost the extreme level of, you know, who's the one guy that Hogan's almost trying to prove a point. Like, look, if I can put this guy over, I can put anybody over because we know how he feels about him. It also just seems like this is, God, I hope they're doing more than this, but Bischoff and Russo listening to Bubba the Love Sponge and saying, let's not do something like Hogan versus Kidman. Let's just literally do Hogan and Kidman. And we'll write it with, you know, the steam of a, a apparent Bischoff-Hogan feud. And the promos were good. Uh, Kidman's kind of starting to find his voice and he could be that smarmy, you know, that smarmy heel. And maybe he does slip in a win against Hogan here and there, you know, maybe, maybe they can put enough lipstick on this pig to make it good. I think the action has been good, and they're really trying with this one. To me, this doesn't pass the eye test. Uh, the other thing, Bob, is uh, the Blazers had Clyde Drexler, and so drafting Michael Jordan would have been duplicative. They needed help at the center position, and Sam Bowie was the number one <laughs> prospect that year. Yeah, okay. um, keep, keep telling yourself that. Uh, so Ric Flair's here, and so we kind of rinse and repeat, whereas Hogan had arrived and gotten caught up on stuff. Ric Flair's here now, and he gets caught up, and he's out to the ring. And Flair puts over the old guys as WCW stalwarts. And Scott Steiner interrupts Ric Flair. And on the distraction, a returning Shane Douglas, Pearl Harbor's Ric Flair. He doesn't even work here. Really quickly, Dan, Ric Flair versus Shane Douglas, another internet feud. Well, yeah, well, yeah, yes, it is, really. But then I suppose, I mean, as the commentators were saying, Douglas has kind of in wherever Douglas has been, he has been sort of calling him out on like, ECW TV and stuff. And we've, we've kind of known about this Douglas, or at least the, it seems like a one-sided bit of heat, really. Douglas doesn't like Flair, and then so Flair, by the fact that he doesn't like Douglas, but doesn't really care much about him from what... We never hear Flair talk about Douglas previously. So, yeah, it's kind of partly internet, but there is some sort of history with, with Douglas's um, gripes with with flair and stuff from his previous time at wcw but yes again it's another work shoot type promo is that what we're going to get now going forward is any sort of promo and stuff even like steiner's one that, like the with flair stuff was was similar yeah all stories now only based partially in reality is that what russo's going for to give it a bit more quote-unquote edge i don't know yeah, exactly right. We'll take this a little bit out of order because there's actually three, if I count my notes right, three segments featuring Shane Douglas and Ric Flair over the course of the night. So uh, we'll go a little bit out of order here. Uh, Shane comes back out to cut a promo on Flair, and ultimately what this leads to is uh, Ric Flair in street clothes versus Shane Douglas. And on, on commentary, Tony admits that Ric Flair previously turned down creative with Shane. Yikes. And immediately it's Vince Russo out with a baseball bat and he hammers Flair and they beat the hell out of Ric Flair with an obviously rubber baseball bat. Bob, the segment that we talked about, as well as the match and and the follow up, it looks like we're going to have Vince Russo and Shane Douglas versus Ric Flair. So that's kind of the corollary. We have uh, Kidman teaming up with Bischoff to take out 
Hogan. And then we have Russo seemingly wanting to take out Flair with one of his recruits, Shane Douglas. Let me just first say, I, I, I'm not a fan of really kind of exposing the business. The whole dude who oh. want to work with him creatively or whatever. I'm not a fan of that type of stuff. It's pulling back you know, too much for the fans to be like, oh, hey, that kind of tells you what this is. I, I'm not a fan of that. Uh, as for a Douglas-Russo kind of combination, it could work. It could. I think Shane Douglas is... I don't want to know. I don't know if I want to say underrated, but he he definitely, you know, if you look back at his uh, his ECW days, especially like 95, 94, 95, and his uh, return when he, you know, 97, 98-ish, the guy can talk. You know, Vince Russo doesn't need to be there as a talker. Vince Russo shouldn't be involved with really anything physically. I don't know why kind of go down that road. Obviously, Bischoff does at the end of the month, so I don't know why any of that's happening. But you know, Shane Douglas, uh, Shane Douglas, Vince Russo pairing, I can see that generating a lot of heat. Uh, I think they they're very two dis, you know dislikable guys. You know, Russo on on another level for me. So that, that could potentially work. What what's really funny to me is uh, you know you go back to the original segment. I would have been drawn into a Scott Steiner Rick Flair feud. So, of course, you know, they go to a lesser feud, which to me isn't even an Internet feud. This is just a feud in Shane Douglas's mind (laughs) that he kind of yes, Yeah, that he generated into thinking, hey, you know, in ECW, how am I going to get over, you know, the Philly crowd? You know, they all hate NWA, WCW. Ric Flair is the face of that. Oh, Flair didn't ever want to wrestle me. So it's just kind of a a made up thing that uh, he has now finally gotten a match or feud, apparently to conclude that made-up angle in his head six years after the fact. And like and like you guys mentioned, I mean, Flair's never really addressed it. So it's just kind of like the annoying sibling or something that's just like, hey, man, I'm better than you. And it's just like, no, you're not. You, I have like 10 championships to year zero in WCW or whatever it is. This is another one where it needs to be built up. You know, they, they quickly went into Kidman Hogan on no build-up. Shane Douglas, who he doesn't work here, uh, <laughs> right. You know, he he needs to get properly built up because even with the revolution, uh, that group was not really handled very well, really from the jump. It seems like they're, let's say Bischoff is the, the, the long form guy and he's saying like eight months from now or, you know, what, let me correct. That. Let's say like at Starcade, you know, he's thinking, all right, cool. We can have Kidman and Hogan and then Flair and Douglas, you know, this huge thing. And then, like, Russo's dyslexic or something. And he's seeing that right now and be like, okay, we'll do it here. And then, like, we'll go into something else. Because I think Flair Douglas, with the right build, the mic work alone could get there. I don't know any any more if in-ring it will hold up. But promo-wise, I think it could do, could do pretty well. And jumping back in time, uh, it's Sting versus Sid in the other qualifying match for the world title. We'll call it Roundup. I'm not even sure. Uh, shortly in, the wall interrupts and attacks Sid, and the wall barely puts Sid through a table, and Sting wins by countout. We then move to Jeff Jarrett versus Kurt Hennig, and shortly into that match, Hennig's old Mr. Perfect music plays, and out comes Sean Stasiak, formerly Meat. Stasiak does a something or other to Kurt Hennig that appeared to be a botched move of some subscription or description, and leaves, and that allows Jeff Jarrett to win. And the crowd was not happy. Next, sequentially, was that 
Shane Douglas Ric Flair match we talked about, but then it's Kevin Nash who hobbles to the ring. Nash says Hall is sober and in a bad mood. And then as we discussed at the beginning of the show, Mike Awesome, the reigning ECW champion, sneaks up and attacks Nash from behind. We then l- <laughs> at least they're trying, guys. The White Hummer is back and attacks Hogan's limo. And we learn it's Eric Bischoff driving the White Hummer. Really quickly, were either of you uh, needing resolution to the White Hummer storyline? And doesn't it being Eric Bischoff completely contradict much of that storyline back from 1999? Uh, Dan, just quick thoughts. Oh, I completely forgot about it. If I, was, if I was being honest, when I saw it, when I saw the, it come up and, and the commentator was like, "Oh my God, the white, the white, the Hummer's back," I was like, "Back, really? Back from where?" I got, and then, oh yeah, of course, from was it nine, ten months ago that they were referring it to. But yeah, I completely forgot about the whole quote-unquote mystery of the the White Hummer attack from from last year. And yeah, it being Bischoff, them saying, "Oh, it was Bischoff all along," probably wasn't wasn't going to be but yeah who knows hopefully that's probably the end of that mystery if you want to call it that and yeah um it it was impactful though i mean even if he didn't have the one before even just having like hogan in the limo then being hit with the with the hummer by bischoff that that sort of gives a bit more more meat to the 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 bischoff kidman versus hogan story going forward at least they certainly decided to heat up that uh, that feud really quickly by introducing vehicular manslaughter yeah. to the mix. Yes, yeah, uh, could two, be done next week. They're done in an hour. Yeah, three segments <laughs> later. Bob, of all the loops that WCW elected not to close by stripping all their titles and basically abandoning all their builds for Sid and the Wall and the Mama Lukes and everybody else, did the White Hummer loop really need to be closed here? Uh, absolutely not. And the, and the thing, too, here that I want to point out, I'm not sure. So this is just speculative, but you know, if we were to find the footage and go back and check it out, it'd be important to note during that Hummer situation. I know Bischoff oftentimes was on commentary, right? So it'd be interesting to find <laughs> out to go back and look because I think that was the build for Great American Bash '99, if I'm not mistaken. To go back to that episode of Nitro and see just if Bischoff was on commentary when the Hummer uh, rammed into Kevin Nash. Uh, last year and i also want to point out that this is an absolutely ridiculous thing and it's really pissing me off the more i'm even thinking about it when they did it last year it was the week of the pay-per-view and they immediately had to come out and say he hit <laughs> kevin nash's ribs are bruised he'll be at the bash no big deal whatever and then here we are i know i don't think there's a match announced or anything for hogan but it's six days before a pay-per-view that you're rebooting and hogan's arguably your biggest face and you're killing him in a freaking limo again six days before the pay-per-view so as a fan am i supposed to think that oh hey he'll be fine no big deal and then you know you know he's gonna hulk up and three punch and leg drop that 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 hummer you know it well you know i was i was kind of expecting him to kick the door open and then like scoop slam billy kidman on the concrete and like drop him and then just completely murder the angle from the jump because similar to last year it's like you're a heel and you're ramming into a you know a, a jeep or whatever it was uh, countless times and the babyface still survives. I mean that's absolutely ridiculous. I mean Eddie Gilbert ran over Jerry Lawler with a fucking freak, uh, like a Lincoln. It was a Lincoln, the, I think, right? The white was yeah. it a white Lincoln or what? Oh, I it? think it was a Lincoln in the parking lot in Memphis. Yeah. 
you know, and, and Lawler was out for a bit, you know, he, you know, I know like the police were called and stuff and he'd be like, I'm okay. But like, he was jacked up because Eddie was not going 10 miles an hour. He was going by like 50, but it's no, it's, it's like history repeats, repeats itself. You do something dumb in 1999 with the whole Hummer thing. And then maybe Russo saw that Nitro and was like, I really love that Hummer idea. So let's just do it again. Cause really what's the new blood at the end of the day, kind of like a knockoff of the new world order a the little new, bit the new wo yeah yeah like <laughs> everything that they're doing is just recycling down to the You're... spray down to the spray paint uh oh, so okay. so kidman <laughs> yeah. yeah so we, we go to a break and we come back and hogan's on the stretcher and uh, kidman spray paints i think he was going to go for nwo but then rem- remembered that he had to put nb so he spray paints nb um, on Hogan, and Hogan uh, takes the ambulance away, and that's the last time we'll be seeing him for months, I'm certain. And so it's our main event time, and it's DDP versus Sting. Shortly into this match, Van, Van uh, Vampiro, if I can say that, uh, comes in and attacks Sting, which allows DDP to get the win. So DDP versus Jeff Jarrett will be your WCW World Heavyweight title match for Spring Stampede. After the match, uh, Jarrett grabs that famous guitar of his and goes to level DDP, who ducks, and Kimberly Page takes the guitar shot. Now, I don't know if this is speculation or not, but the rumor is that this may have actually given her an actual concussion. It looked like she was pretty well braced for it, but you never know. Anyway, so Kim takes the guitar shot. We go to break. We come back from break. Jeff Jarrett comes out again, and I think this was his fourth entrance of the night, maybe third. Yeah, because he had one for the beginning, one for his match against Hennig, one for coming out on commentary here and coming back out to close the show. Uh-uh. There was only one shot that got the chandelier. That's one plus two plus one plus one. Even if you were right, that would be one plus one plus two plus one, not one plus two plus one plus one. So four Jeff Jarrett uh, segments here tonight. And they finally sell the pay-per-view, and DDP hits the ring, and it turns into a pure six with everybody. Goldberg chants drown out the arena. He's not going to show up, at least on camera. And as the show fades to black, Bret Hart walks out, and that's it. So we end on a little bit of a cliffhanger. Daniel, your thoughts on DDP versus Jeff Jarrett as our new pay-per-view main event? Yeah, I, I'm okay with it. I think out of the millionaires club or the, those in the tournament, I think DDP was probably the best choice. Yeah, against Jeff Jarrett, against someone who we haven't seen in the world or has been in the world title picture and is sort of leading towards this chosen one destiny type type gimmick. So it'd be something a bit a bit uh, fresh, I guess. One thing to sort of quickly go back on, uh, I think through your match summary, you kept on saying, and shortly thereafter, in terms of the number oh. of interferences, and I think in my notes, I think I had someone beat someone thanks to someone else. Every no, There's nothing clean about this. Everything was due to some other outside interference of some sort. Yeah. Well, we're about to talk about 14 matches that I think all end in some, with some sort of uh, shenanigans here. Mm. Yeah. The, the Jeff Jarrett thing, maybe I'll come around to it, but they've, they've kind of tried this once a little bit. And I I don't know. It's like Jeff Jarrett to me does not, does not scream world champion, but maybe, maybe I'm wrong here. Maybe that's, Maybe we all need to be open, more open-minded here. We need to be receptive to Kidman versus Hogan. We need to be receptive to Shane Douglas against Ric Flair, and we need to be receptive to main event Jeff Jarrett. Well, uh, I, think we, I think we do, but I think over time, not in two hours. 
Right. Exactly. Bob, we'll close on this. The hitman comes out, makes a cameo, and uh, spoiler alert, it doesn't really go very much further from here except for later in the month when he maybe shows his allegiance. But what did you think when you saw Bret Hart here uh, before how the rest of the month unfolded? Uh, why? Why would he be part of the New Blood or any of it? I don't I don't understand it. I think it's just a matter of them looking at the roster sheet and being like, okay, he's great, Brett. Okay, yeah, we'll just have Brett with us. Like, there, I don't know if there's really any type of plan. That's really the vibe I'm getting from this is that they don't have a real idea of where they're going. And I think really for any reboot or any time like a, a company starts, I would say the first four to six months is really like, the growing pains of like figuring out where you want to go, who are going to be your guys. You guys are talking about like Jeff Jarrett being the world champion scene. Like it doesn't not work. It does not work. It, there's no reason for that, but I'll get into that later on on the actual review of the pay-per-view. I mean, Bret Hart being there, it's probably just a matter of, Hey, we're paying this guy a lot of money. So we'll just have him show up to a nitro. He'll stand at the top of the ramp with us for 30 seconds. And then maybe we'll get our value out of it. There's no real backstory with him and, and Russo ever. I don't know. To me, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, but really out of the show, how much stuff really did make sense at the end of the day? I mean, not a whole lot, really. It was a lot to digest. And as you said, it would have been nice if we had had some amount of time before we had to go to a pay-per-view, before we had to crown a whole bunch of new champions. But instead, we get six days worth of uh, anticipation with one uh, quite meddling thunder that only really saw the return of Bam Bam Bigelow and uh, a continued build for the ready to rumble uh, shenanigans later in the month. Bischoff is on the apron. Sleeper from Payne. Oh, oh. Oh, literally, what they do. What on earth? But now Kimberly's getting on the ring apron here. Yeah. Who's he helping? Is he helping Page? He might be helping Page. And yes, only six days after WCW reboot its entire operation, it's Spring Stampede, April 16, 2000, from Chicago, Illinois. And as I said at the outset, we have 12,556 in the building. Dan, do you have the results of the show? I do indeed. I'll go through them all now. Bear with me. This is could be confusing with all the different tournaments going on. Sure. So, <laughs> Rick Flair and the Total Package defeat the Harris Brothers and the Mama Lukes. In the tag tournament semi-final, then Mankow defeated Jimmy Hart. Scott Steiner defeated The Wall in the quarterfinals of the U.S. tournament. Uh, also in the U.S. tournament, Mike Awesome defeated Ernest Miller. 
Then in the second tag tournament match, Shane Douglas and Bagwell defeated Harlem Heat 2000. Back to the US tournament and Sting defeated Booker T and Vampiro defeated Billy Kidman. For the hardcore title, Terry Funk defeated Norman Smiley. Then the US title semi-finals, Scott Steiner defeated Mike Awesome and Sting defeated Van, uh, Vampiro. Then a six-way match for the Cruiserweight tournament, uh, Cruiserweight Championship was won by Chris Candido beating The Artist, Juventu Guerrera, Shannon Moore, Lash LaRue and Crowbar. The uh, final for the tag title saw Shane Douglas and Buff Bagwell beat Ric Flair in the total package. And then the final of the US title tournament saw Scott Steiner defeat Sting. And finally, in the World Heavyweight title tournament, Jeff Jarrett defeated Diamond Dallas Page. Those are all 14 matches. 14 matches. Yes, excellently done and well summarized. Uh, Bob, what were your quick thoughts on the show before we dive into the review? A lot of unnecessary matches. And uh, really going into it blind, I'm not ever really a fan of that. No build kind of borderline extended nitro once again daniel yeah i suppose it's just so much unnecessary i mean why did we have to have a full eight-man u.s title in in one night why couldn't some of these be done thunder or or even in nitro i guess that's what we get for a six-day build and also i just got the um match times in front of me just nothing going more than 10 minutes by the world heavyweight title match but i mean yeah it's just far too much for what was not even three hours. I agree with you. There was a lot of head scratching on this show. One one thing I will say is the show was never boring. It also never relented. And by the end, I was kind of numb to it all, much, as, much in the way of the Nitro that came only six days before. There's a lot going on here, and there's a lot to keep track of, and sometimes just too much. You can headline a, uh, an intermediate pay-per-view with the U.S. title tournament finals if you build it correctly, especially if you have guys like Scott Steiner and Sting like, and all those guys who are involved. I think they really blew off here many, many, many possible uh, builds and tournaments and things they could have done by shoehorning everything into the show. Yeah, I agree with you guys. This was not, this was not an easy show to watch because so much was happening, but it was never boring. No, I mean, it was just a headache just to read those results, let alone watching it. But, I mean, like you say, it was not boring because you just didn't have time to be bored. You just had to see what was next and then just go with it. The opening package, to no surprise, is about Vince Russo and Eric Bischoff. Russo is out for Flair and Bischoff is out for Hogan. Okay, Hogan's checked out of the hospital. And another package then segs to Shivani, who's with... Uh, Hudson and Madden. Uh, Hudson's been moved up to the A squad uh, on Nitro as well, and I think he's quite good. Scott Hudson notes uh, notes the odds are stacked in favor of the New Blood. Yes, uh, as we go through these matches, you'll see. And Mark Madden cannot wait for Jeff Jarrett to beat DDP. And then we also learn that in this new WCW, the rules are relaxed, so we'll be seeing less disqualifications and less. Uh, Well, anything but clean finishes. Let's see if that holds true. We open with a triple threat match, triple threat tag match in the semifinals of the tag team tournament. It's Ric Flair and Lex Luger versus the Mama Lukes versus the Harris brothers. Uh, After the traditional long Lex Luger entrance, we have Luger and Ric Flair in street clothes. Ric Flair says he's wearing street clothes for a street fight. I don't think those are the type of clothes that people tend to wear in street fights, Rick, but good try. (laughs) 
it's not initially a triple threat to, to, to start the match, but Russo interrupts and adds the Harris brothers to quote, even the odds because of the Mamelukes inexperience. So basically the match begins and it's four on two. We immediately learn there are not relaxed rules. There are basically just no rules. After a while, Rick gets a feeder, figure four on Vito, uh, but catches a kick. Uh, did anybody notice the ring squeaking? That's so Bush League. The Harris brothers uh, double boot Rick for a two. Rick gets beaten down on rotation by all the heels. Tagged to Luger, but now the ref enforces the rules and doesn't acknowledge the tag. Disco posts Lex on the outside. In the ring, it's four on one against Rick. Disco then gets abducted by a pair of familiars. If you've seen The Sopranos, you know who I'm talking about. Luger comes in and cleans house. Luger hilariously waits for a Harris brother to jump from the top rope. And he even looked at the hard camera and said, I'm still waiting. But anyway, he he, uh, he reverses it. It breaks down again until Lex is able to rack Johnny the Bull, who taps out. Ric Flair and Lex Luger win in six minutes and 11 seconds in their opening round uh, tournament match. Uh, Bob, what did you think of this uh, of this match? And gentlemen, I will say because we have 14 matches and most of them are tournament quarter and semifinals you know we don't need to break these down in all this tremendous detail but bob quickly on uh, on this opening match with uh flair and luger versus the two jobber teams <laughs> jobber teams i love it <laughs> uh you know way to uh put over your squad saying hey they need more help because my guys suck is pretty much what he's yeah. saying at big veto and, and johnny the bull which is funny because i think the mama luke's are better than the harris brothers and the harris brothers have been wrestling for the better part of like 12 years at this point or whatever it is. There's a lot that I don't like about the match. I don't like with, you know, Flair being in the, the most expensive street clothes for a street fight ever. I know Flair has sold for a bunch of people in his career, people that realistically he should never have to sell for, but it's Ric Flair sold for Joe Gomez on freaking Saturday night in 1996. But for some reason, as I was sitting in the chair and I saw a big veto working over Flair, I was just cringing at it. I don't know why yeah. I tend to like big veto. But I think it's just a matter of the guys involved with it. Like, you look at Flair and Luger, and, it's, and like I'm going back to, you know, what I was saying about Mike Awesome and ECW. Like, sometimes it just doesn't look right. You know, tuning into this and you see, you know, Flair and Luger, guys that have been in WCW for years and years and have had big runs or whatever. And now they're, you know, selling for a former Baldy from, from ECW. Like, it doesn't... I don't know. This is weird to me. Like he was giving him a moment of shine. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't really like it. To me, it's not. A, it's not a good match. It wasn't a good opener. Anytime the Harris brothers are involved in something, I'm immediately tuned out. So you know, when he when he uh, introduced the Harris brothers, I was just like, you got to be freaking kidding me. If this is the new WCW base off just this for the tag team division, good lord, are we in trouble? Dan, your thoughts. Yeah, quite similar. I mean, usually when we have like the like in a handicapped situation, the the faces versus the multiple heels, it's usually sort of you kind of think, oh, the the, the faces are in danger. How can they surmount these odds? But I mean, what odds were they really fighting against with the Mamelukes and the Harris boys? Really, I mean, it's like, yeah, of, co- of course, Flair and Package uh, were going to win because who are they really beating? I think even towards the end, it's kind of devolved with the Mamelukes and the Harris boys beating each other up. So that kind of gave them even more of a, an easy, easy way back into the match. And yeah, um, it's, oh, I guess somewhat, some people in the Millionaire's Cup have to be in the, in the tag division, 
Um, and I was just trying to think who else it could be, really. I mean, I suppose they could have done Sting and Luger as their sort of former tag champs. I mean, that might have worked, but then what, what would you do with Flair? So, I, yeah, I, I don't feel like anything is lost for anybody. I mean, you're the fucking Mama Lukes. You're in the ring with Ric Flair and Lex Luger. That's enough. I mean, that you've got that's plenty of rub right there. And there are guys that have had some good matches here. And I completely agree with you, Bob, on the Harris Brothers. Like, just they're fine. They're a good they're a good hand get over tag team, but they they did not need to be part of this. Um, and I see nothing wrong with Flair and Luger just coming in, figure four on Johnny the Bull, tap out two and a half minutes. And then you kind of build this clash between Buff and uh, and Shane versus Flair and Luger. And if Flair and Luger come out and just truck over the Mamelukes and then Buff and Shane slip past them, I think that only makes Buff and Shane look stronger. Because you've seen Flair and Luger come out and just kind of bitch slap these two jabronis in two and a half minutes. And then they take the L against two two guys that actually have a chance to be stars in Buff and Shane. So, yeah, I think this was I think Flair gave way too much here. I think this match, even though it was only six minutes, was way too long. There was way too much going on. It should have just been a clean get over Flair and Luger, rack him, tap him, figure four, whatever, move along. And then you can build up an effective tournament final between a, a true team of young guys that could still get over and be something versus the established vets. Backstage, Mike Awesome cuts a promo on Ernest Miller, and then Bam Bam confronts Mike Awesome and calls Mike a jabroni, and they have a scrap. And this takes us to, it says Luthez versus, no, I'm sorry, Man Cow versus Jimmy Hart. Man Cow, the national radio host, um, Hulk Hogan's buddy, on Man Cow's radio show, which is based out of Chicago. He's kind of the Midwest Howard Stern, is how I would describe him. Um, Jimmy Hart and Man Cow had a scrap, and so this is their match. They get time on pay-per-view. Uh, Jimmy Hart is out with a gentleman named Hale, and he's massive. Uh, Bob... Just two sentences. Do you know anything about this Hale guy? I'm only asking you because you know everything about these guys. I don't know a whole lot, but I believe he is a pet project of uh, Jimmy Hart. I know uh, he was uh, – I believe he's had a few matches on Saturday night, and he was very dominant in those matches. But I believe he is a <clears throat> personal pet project for Jimmy Hart. Now, we see him once this month, and it's here, at least unless he was on Saturday night, which, by the way, was canceled. Uh, we, that didn't make it into the news, but Saturday night looks like it's going to turn into a clip show, if anything. Man Cow is out with a squad of plastic babes and lackeys looking like Dustin from Clerks. He gets on the mic and calls Jimmy a piece of shit. So let's you know, start the shit meter tonight. And Man Cow attacks from behind. And this is clearly a comedy match. Jimmy Hart tries a top rope splash. There's a ref bump in a comedy match. Hale gets involved, tosses Mancow onto his lackeys onto the floor. Jimmy gets the visual pin on Mancow before Mancow recovers and hits Jimmy with a chair to win the match. Bob, if you spend more than 30 seconds on this, I'm going to edit it out of the show anyway. So just tell me what you thought. Uh, this doesn't need to be on pay-per-view. It's a complete joke. And I thought it, they had accidentally left the cameras on to uh, record it. Uh, Daniel, same 30-second window here for this absolutely pointless worst match of the year contender. There we go. I think you've said it all. Pointless, worthless, anything else-less, just why. If you're going to have a, a piss-break match, maybe 
put it on later. I don't know why they put it on second. I mean, have some of the tournament matches. Break up with this nonsense if you absolutely have to, but don't. Just do something else. <laughs> yeah, or, or just do an angle or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, put it between the U.S. title and the world title match to give everybody a chance to, to take a pee. I don't know. Kidman comes out and takes out Jimmy Hart, and backstage Russo is furious at his underneath tag teams for not getting the job done against Luger and Flair. And it's the U.S. title quarterfinals. Yes, the quarterfinals. Uh, we're going to wrap it up all tonight. It's Scott Steiner versus The Wall. We lock up, and Scott pushes The Wall to the corner, and Tony puts over Scott's strength. And the squeaky ring is really struggling underneath these two guys. Scott hits a belly-to-belly and follows with kicks. The wall goes low with a fist, and we're told the DQ rules are relaxed. The wall hits a release choke bomb. Scott counters and sends the wall outside. The wall sets up a table, but Scott recovers. The wall blocks Scott's suplex through the table. And in the commotion, the wall accidentally puts the ref through the table, which causes the disqualification. And the announcers explain that while kicking, punching somebody in the nuts was fine, choke slamming a referee through the table was over the line. Scott Steiner defeats the wall in 353 in the U.S. title quarterfinal. Daniel, thoughts on this match and the finish? Um, some semi-decent sort of big man sort of moves from both Wall and Steiner to sort of start off with, but yeah, quick, very quickly just descended into bit of nonsense with the referee going through the table and then yeah apparently that's the one thing that is uh worthy of a disqualification these days um i guess it keeps wall kind of semi strong and doesn't get him beaten but yeah i, I could only see Steiner winning this sure we uh, bob we've talked a lot about uh trying to keep the wall strong and building him up and they had really done a good job and here he uh, admittedly in a disqualification but he doesn't beat Steiner. He doesn't look all that strong. Isn't this an example of, you know, an older guy just keeping another guy down or should, should this have been just Steiner over clean and the wall is going to be an underneath guy. There's a lot of things about this match that I think are hilarious. Number one, the fact that they're saying, Hey, we're going to have no disqualifications, no rules, let these guys go. And then we get a disqualification third match in to me is just so is it's hilarious. I mean, I understand a referee going through a table probably is a breaking point, but really don't highlight your relaxed rules and then kind of contradict it uh, regardless of that. Um, also, I want to point out that, you know, Scott Steiner is a badass. I think a lot of people would agree with that, that, you know, when you see a guy like Scott Steiner, you're like, wow, that guy's going to rip my head off. But when he comes out to his old school Steiner brothers music from like 96, where it's like, Steiner eyes. Like, it doesn't fit. It's just weird. Um, kind yeah, of hard to get amped up. Yeah, it was just it was just weird. I mean, I'm assuming they haven't produced new music for the guy or something, and they just hit panicked and mm-hmm. put it out there because he had been using NWO music for, like, two years or whatever it was. But it was just weird. Uh, as for the wall and uh, all that stuff, I mean, realistically, uh, his his momentum had been really depleted earlier in the year i mean like we had mentioned it sold out you know when he beat billy kim and all that and then he ended up losing like the the next night to right. i can't remember who it was because it doesn't really matter but immediately jobbed out the next night you know I, for me personally i'm not under no circumstance am i am i gonna have the wall go over sky Steiner in this situation there's just no reason to do it uh it wouldn't be beneficial 
uh, to really anybody. I think that Steiner just choking them out uh, and winning the match is probably the ideal way to go. I mean, sure, the wall has some uh, you know momentum with the whole you know crazy lunatic. Hey, I'm gonna put everybody through a table thing, which I think could be interesting if they were to kind of do better with it. But you know, Steiner just choking them out with the recliner and, and moving on. I think would have been just better suited because like you kind of hinted at, I think the wall certainly is not a main event guy, not even a mid card guy. I think he's a low end. Like if Saturday night still existed, you know, he would do very well there to me. That's like his max because there's just really isn't anything there. The guy doesn't really talk, doesn't have much charisma. He's just a big guy that does a choke slam through a table. There's no, not much value there, but I think there is value in having a guy like Scott Steiner, like I said before, just a complete badass, believable guy who can kick ass, come in there, similar to the previous uh, tag match. You know, if you're going to have Flair and Luger dominate the Mambalukes, why not have Scott Steiner showcase his strength and, and dominate the wall and then kind of hype it on TV? Like, look at what this guy did to a 6'6 giant, you know, going through tables. And I think, I think there'd be value in that. Steiner, for sure, has to be seen as the front runner for this tournament i think he's in the wrong tournament but i'll get into that uh closer to the uh the finals of the world title yeah we talked last month about how strongly the wall had kind of been built back up since january and he was really looking like a a kevin sullivan guy and whatever your thoughts are on him if you're going to build him build him and if you're not don't but don't do something like this and i think I think you're both kind of right in that, you know, Bob, this is the kind of guy who you can put over underneath guys strong on TV and he can be kind of a jobber to the stars in major settings. So have Steiner beat him or have the wall win and kind of surprise people. And that might, you know, vault him up into another stratosphere. Now that outcome was never going to happen. What I think doesn't help anybody here is what the finish was, which was Steiner not winning clean not choking him out, not winning with the suplex, not winning with the recliner. And the wall just looking like an absolute idiot, putting the referee through the table, as well as announcing that the DQ rules are relaxed and then having a DQ finish. So I think there was a lot to be left desired with Scott Steiner versus the wall. And we go to another quarterfinal match in the U.S. title tournament, and it's Mike Awesome versus Ernest Miller. And or Mike Awesome versus Bam Bam Bigelow. Bam Bam attacks the cat as Mike Awesome enters the ringside area. And then Bam Bam hustles out to attack Awesome. So the bell rings and it looks like it's going to be Bam Bam versus Mike Awesome. And the announcers ponder whether this is a legal match. Me too. Awesome hits an amazing Piscato over the top. He clears the guardrail onto a flying tackle. And a diving clothesline gets Mike a two. Bam Bam takes over with a flying headbutt. And here's the cat just in time. He super kicks Bam Bam, and the cat says he's going to dance while the match goes on. And thankfully, Mike Awesome interrupts and pins Ernest Miller after a big frog splash to win the match in four minutes. So Mike Awesome beats the cat and Bam Bam Bigelow to advance in the U.S. title quarterfinal in four minutes. Uh, Bob, what did you think of the short one? I mean, it was good to see Awesome get some shine and showcase just what he can do for a big guy i mean obviously kevin nash is not about to do top rope dives to the floor or anything so that should be interesting to see how that goes uh if that were to happen but for like a little showcase i guess for mike awesome it was okay for what it was and okay does not mean good 
um, pay-per-view. Is it a pay-per-view match or anything? Like, no, absolutely not. This would be something like uh, we kind of mentioned before. Like if this was on Thunder, I'd be probably okay with it. But you know, having thrown uh, you know some cash this way to to watch this, I'm I'm not overly thrilled with it. But regardless of that, showcase for uh, Mike Awesome and curious to see how it will go with him and Scott Steiner. That that seems like be a, a heavy duty match for sure. One that maybe could have used weeks or even months of build. No, no. See, in WCW, they go by about hours. Uh-huh. So the fact that this got uh, close to 172 hours of uh, of build is phenomenal for uh, World Championship Wrestling. Daniel, do you agree that WCW uh, has the long-term booking in mind? No, I'm kidding. Daniel, what were your thoughts, <laughs> what, what were your thoughts on this uh, short and probably superfluous affair? Well, first of all, I need to apologize for missing Bam Bam Bigelow out of my results, but then he, was he really in the match? I mean, like, the commentary well, team was confused as I was watching that to see yeah. him in it. But I mean, yeah, Mike Awesome, nice showcase for for some of his moveset. And um, I guess it was glad it was short and sweet and sort of got Ernest Miller being up quite quickly. That's about it, really. You don't need to have quarterfinals on anything for any tournament it doesn't work it, there's just too much happening and the fact that there are two other tournaments going on at the same time mm, that's ambitious booking uh speaking of ambitious booking it's harlem heat 2000 versus shane douglas and buff bagwell in the semifinals of the tag title tournament a buff cuts a promo and doesn't realize harlem heat 2000 are also in the new blood um, which is kind of weird. Yeah, these they cut promos on each other, but they're technically on the same team. The franchise, as usual, says shit and bullshit, so adjust your shit meters as appropriate. And it's a hot start with Harlem Heat in charge. And Tony again reminds us the DQ rules are relaxed. Shane and Buff take over and work over Stevie. And a blind towel allows Big T to hit that massive spine buster on Buff. That might be the last good thing he does. Buff recovers and manages a Vader bomb. And the match ends as soon as it started. It's a melee as Harlem Heat take out Shane. Cash posts Buff outside. But in the ring, Shane nails kind of a modified Pittsburgh plunge variation on Stevie for the three in only two minutes and 41 seconds. After the match, Harlem Heat argue in the ring. Dan, you want to take this one? Two minutes and 41 seconds. Yeah, amazing. Could have gone on all night. (laughs) Not quite. Harlem Heat 2000 are just a just a sorry state of affairs, really. I'm glad they were, weren't around for too long. And then, yeah, the finish with Shane Douglas's not quite perfect Pittsburgh plunge. I think even on commentary, I think Scott or Tony said, I didn't quite catch all of it, expecting there to be a kick out. But no, that was good enough. That'll do. Move on. <laughs> that, that's the finish. Go home, brother. Yeah, that'll do. We're not... <laughs> Big T and Steve Ray are not hanging around for much more longer. They're, they're, they're already gassed. Let's just get to the final we wanted to see, and then let's just forget about this match. Bob, isn't this kind of what how both of these matches should have been booked? Just If you're going to have the semis and you're building towards Douglas and Bagwell versus Flair and Luger, this only went 241. I, I would have wanted that opening match just to go about two, three minutes as well. So are we hypocrites if we complain that this match was too short or not necessary if that's what exactly what we wanted from the first match you see the, i think the problem with like well the first match like people might want to see flair and luger because they're actual you know baby faces in this situation this is a match where it's two heel teams technically two heel teams right so you know when you're watching it 
I was honestly surprised that Douglas and Bagwell were technically kind of presented as faces. The fans were kind of cheering them on to beat Harlem Heat 2000, which just blew my mind because, you know, you're trying to present Douglas and Bagwell as, you know, the new blood and this new heel group. And yet your fan base is like, yeah, go ahead and do it. And I don't think we can twist this as like they want them to win to fight Luger and, uh, and Flair. You know, we can't make that stretch because this whole situation has been going on for six days. It has mm-hmm. not the level of heat that would even maybe even justify any of that. No, I mean, for like the two minutes that it was, there's nothing really to comment on in terms of match quality or anything. I will say this, though. Uh, if Big T could shed like 40 to 45 pounds, he might have been able to get back to what he kind of was doing. Because like you said, like the spine buster, and he had some decent looking uh, motivation in there at least. But I guess it's too much to ask for the previous Ahmed Johnson to, to lay off catering or anything like that. But yeah, I mean, there's it's, it's not contradicting really. I would be shocked if Harlem Heat 2000 is ever seen again after this. I don't know why they're even on this pay-per-view to uh, to be incorporated with this. Maybe they were just running short on tag teams. I don't know. At least babyface tag teams. They seem to have a lot of heel teams to, to work with. But, I mean, it's two minutes. Once again, though, is it pay-per-view? No. But I guess with the reboot, kind of what I said earlier in the show, you're going to have some growing pains for the first couple of months. This whole pay-per-view, I mean, everything has been what, about six and a half or less. I mean, it's yeah. just, yeah. there's no real substance to kind of get, you know, motivated into, which is to be expected when we're not even halfway through the show in terms of matches. We, this is just insane. Yeah, the, the, the list of matches still, it's daunting. And, you know, I think, in my opinion, the next match, which we'll get to, was the best match of the night, and it was only six six and a half minutes. So, yeah, that doesn't, we're not really getting any time to develop anything, and in two and a half minutes, as soon as it starts, it ends. I mean, this is a superstars squash match from 1992. This is not a pay-per-view match. I understand doing a squash match on a pay-per-view. If there's a big new star you're trying to bring in and get them over, you know, having these tournament matches, if you're going to have them, have them mean something. And in this case, I would have made Douglas and Bagwell look stronger by maybe having a competitive match. Stevie, I mean, Stevie Reyes credibility, big T is an absolute monster. It almost needed to be the opposite, where people people know Ric Flair and Lex Luger should beat the Mama Lukes in two minutes, but maybe Douglas and Bagwell needed to establish themselves as a tag team here because they are kind of thrown together. Uh, yeah, I think this, they got this all wrong. Anyway, backstage, uh, Gene is with Booker Booker T. I don't know. what Can we call him Booker T now? Can we just go with that? Anyway, Gene is backstage with Booker, who tries to save face and says he doesn't trust Eric Bischoff, but he's all for opportunity. So we're sowing the seeds of a disgruntled face Booker T embroiled with a heel new breed faction or new blood, whatever. And it is Sting versus Booker, Booker T in a U.S. title quarterfinal match. Stalling to start and Booker takes over with clubs and stings out with a body slam and a big kick. He sends Booker into the bell table. We've spilled outside. They send each other around, and it's back in the ring. Booker slows it down and goes to the mat with a sleeper. Sting rallies, but Booker nails the axe kick for a two. Flapjack and a spin a Rooney. Sting counters the Harlem sidekick with a DDT for a two. Booker counters a splash uh, with a sidekick. 
Crossbody gets Sting a two, and Sting counters a suplex and hits the death drop for the three, kind of out of nowhere. But Sting wins clean with the Scorpion death drop in 634, and what I think was a pretty good match. Bob, what were your thoughts on this short but memorable Sting versus Booker T affair? I would say it's a good TV match, average pay-per-view match, and when you kind of compare it to the previous matches that we've seen, we might inflate it uh, to be even better than what it really was. And the abrupt finish, as you mentioned, you know, I wonder if it was because, hey, man, we're close to going seven minutes. We got to make sure we get out in time because again, <laughs> that's the trend when you have so many matches. As you know, we're, we're talking more and more about this. I, I don't know why they didn't just do on Nitro. You do your WCW tournament and then get your maybe semifinals and finals on the pay-per-view. And then Thunder can just be your U.S. title tournament and get the finals on here for that and then just fill out the card with whatever you got to do to mix and match with new blood and millionaires club or whichever, uh, might've been have, you might have better, better pacing, but these two definitely seem motivated to, to at least get the show somewhat on track for yeah. entering, you know, entering uh, entertainment. And I would certainly, I would really like to see staying in Booker T in a major program, you know, get some, you know, maybe a 15, 20 minute pay-per-view match or something. Cause I think they definitely have chemistry and it, it could potentially build into being something a, a little more entertaining and, and important and for this whole new blood thing. I'm really focused on Booker T because, you know, if, if he doesn't get some level of direction up the card in this, he'll, he, there's just no way that he can, at some point, you know, that potential runs out and the believability amongst fans might be like, this guy will never kind of get there. And I think that kind of happened with Benoit uh, towards the end. Like, I don't know if they really capitalized at the right time for that same thing with uh, you know DDP last year that they might have missed the boat on that in terms of timing and the last thing I want I don't want Booker T to kind of run into that because I think he definitely has the ability to be part of that new era you know the new group of top guys for WWE moving forward so a guy like him could greatly benefit from this and uh, I want to put I mean this was a clean finish really I mean it was uh a pleasant sight to see. And I don't think a, you know, a loss here by Booker hurts him at all because, you know, it is Sting. You know, the guy is right. you know, well pop, you know, pretty popular and well-accomplished. So I thought it was an effective match and segment for the most part. But, I mean, you, you wish it go a little longer, but, again, you're kind of handcuffed by, by everything else on the show. Daniel, your thoughts on this quick but surprisingly decent, considering the rest of the show, uh, match? Yeah, fully in agreement with what you've both said already. This is by far and away the the best thing we've we've seen so far. To echo what Bob said, this went six and a half minutes. If it went sixteen and a half, I'd probably still be happy, or if not happier. Booker T clearly should be seen as one of the the future stars of the next few months, and him being like the the outlier in the the new blood, being the almost the one the one face of the new or face in terms of face and heels in the new blood should be a good story going forward like him sort of agreeing with what Russo and Bishop do in terms of pushing the new guys but then also him going well you're doing it the wrong way I want to do it on my own own way thank you yeah like Bob said looking forward to seeing what uh, they do with Booker T hopefully hopefully propelling him further along and up up the card but um, yeah I'm not too bothered with, with Sting winning I think it makes sense for Sting to win him being the the only member of the Millionaires Club in the tournament so you have to have him carry on carry that story on but yeah really really good match for for the short time we had it i like this match i would not have put booker here i think he's a guy that just can you know even 
even with this reset, he's just back to being kind of the jobber to the stars underneath guy. And this guy should be in the world title picture, or at least the U.S. title picture. I, I, and Sting, Sting is misplaced in the U.S. title tournament. Um, he was misplaced in the U.S. title tournament in 1995 when he was in it. And here we are five years later and Sting's back in the U.S. title tournament. I just think that the the the, the bracketing and the booking here kind of failed both guys because – Booker loses to Sting, and then later on, Sting loses to Steiner, and then where does that leave Booker? I don't know. But yeah, a good match, entertaining, a nice little break, uh, but the pacing of this is just ridiculous because we go right right into the next quarterfinal uh, for the U.S. title, which is Vampiro versus Kidman. And Vampiro sidesteps Kidman and hammers him in the corner, and an overhead suplex gives Vampiro the advantage. Uh, and Kidman counters with a pop-up, a pop-up with a Hurricane Rana, Powerbomb uh, countered into a face jam sees Kidman take the advantage, and a guillotine leg drop gives Billy the two. A vertical suplex followed by a chokeslam gives Vampiro the two. That was pretty nice. And they brawl to the outside, and Vamp levels Billy with kicks. Billy counters with an arm lock, uh, an arm lock with a DDT. And in the back, we see the Hulkster rushing into the arena. And Madden mentions Hulk's got to pick up that pay-per-view bonus. Ugh. <laughs> Hogan hits the ring to take out Kidman. No DQ, remember? Hogan tries to murder Billy with the ring steps, and Hogan throws Billy into but not through a table. And the second time the table breaks, Hogan rows Billy into the ring and allows Vampiro to take the win in 8 minutes and 28 seconds. Daniel, your thoughts on this Vampiro versus Kidman match? Up until the the Hogan interference stuff, I thought I thought it was pretty good. Vampiro and Kidman, both sort of smaller guys, sort of Quick action going, going, going through the match really. Um, it did decent all round, but then yeah, Hogan, Hogan ch- turns up and revenge from earlier in the week, giving Bam Vampiro the win. Setting up the the Sting Vampiro. Um, oh no, is this Sting Vampiro coming up? Yeah, setting up their semi final coming up, which again follows on from Monday, I guess. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not too bad, but yeah, then there's the all the screwiness with with Hogan to kind of dull it a bit. And so Bob, after the match, uh, Hogan is out for blood, and he's out for Vince Russo and Eric Bischoff, and and or he's out for Bischoff, and Russo says he'll protect Bischoff, but Hogan finds him, and the police break up, and they pull their guns on Hogan. Bob, thoughts on guns making an appearance here in wrestling for I think. The first time since the famous, or at least in a prominent spot, the first time since that uh, Pillman uh, Austin segment from middle 2000 or middle 1997. No, 96. Wow, it's been four years. Four yeah. years between gun spots. What'd you think of this one? I don't. I don't even know. I don't even know how to react to it because it's just monumentally ridiculous. Number one, Vince Russo was like, "Don't worry, bitch, up, bro. I got you, bro." If you're relying on Vince Russo to protect you from a guy like Hulk Hogan, you might as well just cut bait and just take the beating. But the the gun stuff is just so over the top for professional wrestling. It does not need to be that dramatic. It wasn't even like Hogan was really aggressive towards the officers or anything. He was more so going after uh, Bischoff and stuff. And I believe they like, immediately cut away from that. Like, yeah. As soon as that happened, they're like, oh, no, we're not doing that. And sure, it's pay-per-view, but like, they, just, they just cut away from it pretty quick. So, And then, like they go back to it, and I don't think the gun is, is drawn anymore. So I don't know if that was ad-libbed by an officer or something. Who knows? That could have 
It very well happened. That seemed like that, that seems like a Russo thing to do to not smarten up a cop um, to what is going on. Oh my god! Get Hulk Hogan shot? Yeah, <laughs> you never know. I mean, Russo <laughs> Russo is you know in the, he's he's been he's done some crazy stuff you know so. And uh, what, were your th- know, yeah. what were your thoughts on the match, just quickly? Uh, the, the match is good. I mean, these guys have had uh, plenty of TV matches. I know they had a couple of solid ones on Thunder prior to this whole reset. So, I mean, I, I wasn't surprised that they had a quality match. Uh, Hogan getting involved is kind of predictable. Kind of, again, renders the whole Hummer thing into the car, into the limo pointless because he mostly came out unscathed by it aside from a, a stretcher job. But, uh, you know, they got pl- on this show, they got plenty of time at eight minutes. So uh, I, I think they did well for for the time they were given. I, I think I would try to avoid having Kidman take losses, even though I know Hogan was involved. Right. But, you know, if you're trying to incorporate Kidman into a Hogan feud, probably should avoid having him lose matches. You might want to put him in situations where he's able to excel and and actually win. I mean that's that's really my only gripe with it. I would say I would say this was was solid along with the previous match, so the, a good little run here of matches, I'd say. Dan, I didn't ask you what were your thoughts on this uh, on the gun segment before we move on. Oh, why did it have to go to that extreme? Who knows? Could have just had him cops come in, handcuff Hogan, take him away, something like that. But no, they had to go full episode of cops or whatever. <laughs> With the yeah, guns drawn and such, but yeah, I can understand why they cut away. It was just unnecessary, unnecessarily sort of OTT. But I mean, maybe that's what they're trying to spike a bit of a reaction, get people tuning in. Who knows? Yeah, I always, I'm always kind of of the mindset: if you can't kayfabe it, don't do it. And I don't know how you kayfabe gunfire, so don't, don't. <laughs> if you don't, if you don't do it, the audience doesn't think about it, and it's not a problem. But it's so many just ideas without follow-up as to execution or as to fallout or as to logic. It's just, won't this pop a reaction? And it's like, yeah, but then you have all these other things that you have to deal with. But it's a, it's incredibly, in the scope of this show and this month, Hogan getting guns drawn on him is a, quite a minor uh, happening. Well, you know, here, here's a really important question. Would Hogan sell the gunshot? um maybe maybe on the night but then next week he'd get his own gun back like a red and yellow gun yeah i was was gonna say he would but then he'd have to get it on the return right okay i was just i was wondering you know he's been known to no sell some pretty big stuff so so we're in the back and terry funk is looking for norman smiley and our friend terry taylor tells terry that norman's in catering and at catering, they all stooge on Norman. That was pretty funny. And Norman's in the bathroom. And so in the bathroom, uh, Terry's in there and Norman screams. And they brawl in the bathroom and it spills back out into catering. Uh, Terry empties the coolers on Norman. And Terry sends Norman uh, through the pass-through into the kitchen. Another good spot. I just wish it wasn't Terry Funk doing it. Uh, Norman levels Terry with a trash can in the kitchen. Terry goes upside down into a trash can. Grabs a laptop and leathers Norman for a two. There's not really any flow to this, so just stick with me here. This all happened. Norman scales the ductwork and falls through a table. On the way to the ring, Norman nails Terry with a chair. Several chair shots to the head by Norman onto Terry. We're finally in the ring, and Norman delivers the big wiggle. Terry nails Norman with two massive headshots. Brawl outside, and Terry grabs a ladder. 
and it's Dustin Rhodes hits the ring and battles ter- batters Terry and a pile driver onto a chair by Dustin. But Terry gets the better of Dustin and tosses the ladder on Norman. And that's enough for the three. Terry Funk defeats Norman Smiley in 8.02 to capture the hardcore title. Bob, we'll start with you. Terry Funk and Norman Smiley. I mean, it's just comedy hardcore stuff that has no real substance to it. I mean, going almost nine minutes. Uh, is really kind of hilarious at the grand scheme of things. I mean, you cut this in half and have the other four minutes to Sting and Booker, and you're looking at probably a memorable uh, pay-per-view match. Uh, just unnecessary amount of time. I'm not really a big fan of these comedy... Oh, I don't know if they would take it as comedy, but I am taking it as comedy. Uh, these comedy hardcore matches, I mean, I'm just not all that... In, I'm not all that entertained by it, whether it be WWF or WCW, really. They're just kind of grasping at incorporating some kind of ECW feel to their stuff, I feel like, and it just never really delivers. Uh, Norman Smiley shouldn't even be in the hardcore division to begin with. He's actually a very talented wrestler, which I think is oftentimes forgotten. But he got he's he's gone over with this whole screaming thing. Uh, so hopefully maybe maybe they'll figure something out for him. You know, Funk is a hardcore champion. I guess it fits him, but you know, I, I didn't care about the Dustin uh, incorporation really. Uh, this dragged on for me a long, what felt like a long time. It just, it just isn't my stuff. So other people might have enjoyed it a lot more, but uh, you know, give me give me 16 minutes, 17 minutes of Sting and Booker and cut this in half, and I would have been happier about it. Daniel, I think, all, first of all, did you enjoy this <laughs> responsive to Bob's question? And second, you know, Terry Funk has a role in wrestling at his current age and status and health, but should it be this? It was fine. I mean, if you think of Terry Funk and hardcore matches, this was probably the type of hardcore match I'd want to see him in. Now, I don't want to see the blood and gore fest from previous years. I think if you're going to have Terry Funk in a hardcore situation, a few pretty sort of light-ish chair shots, a couple of trays and stuff like that, it's, it's fine. I mean, yeah, it did drag on because... I think WCW hardcore rules means it has to start in the back and then end, and has to end in the ring. Don't know why they can't just do a pin on the floor out in the back somewhere. I mean that would have cut that down by five minutes, having to have all the the walk and brawl from wherever they start to get to the to have to finish in the ring. And yeah, I'm with Bob. Don't know why Dustin needs to get involved just to end up getting fired later. I think you'll, we'll cover that in a bit. Well, look, cover it, was, it now, because with everything that's going yeah. on, we're not going to get to Dustin Rhodes being fired. So go yeah, ahead yeah, and the, yeah, make your comments on so, that, because that, that did happen on night. So, yeah, Dustin didn't get Norman the win and keep the belt in the new blood. He was then fired by Russo the next night, and it was just for what, really? Who knows? Um, yeah, fun, fun match. But, yeah, the walk and brawl to get to the ring was unneeded. Could have easily just ended somewhere in catering. It would have been fine. I completely agree with both of you. This was what it was, and I wish it wasn't. And so we go to the semifinals of the United States title tournament, and it's Mike Awesome versus Scott Steiner. I was excited for this one. Lock up to start, and Scott rides Mike wrestling style. Stiff elbows follow, and then a stiff clothesline drops Mike. Mike then launches himself over the rope into a charging Scott, and a top rope clothesline gets Mike a two. Scott hits a low blow and a belly-to-belly. A climbing rope back elbow gets Mike a two, and then Nash stumbles to the ring and nails Awesome with the crutch. 
Steiner recliner and sees Mike Awesome tap in only 314. Scott Steiner defeats Mike Awesome to head to the finals of the U.S. title tournament. Daniel, Mike Awesome doing the J-O-B on his first PPV. What are your thoughts? Yeah, what an amazing way to build your brand new star. Getting him to tap out, albeit with with interference, but tap out in just three minutes. The first sort of two and a half minutes, I suppose, weren't too bad, really. But I like both offense from Steiner and and Awesome, but didn't have enough time to enjoy it before. Yep, yeah, another interference and yeah, awesome, awesome tapping. And yeah, that that's what well, that's all the luster his they had gone. I'd imagine then. How do you go from what do you go from there with the, your brand new guy? Yeah, I, I struggled this again. If you're gonna do it, have Steiner prevail. Don't book this match. And if you want to make Awesome look strong, have him beat Steiner. I mean, that would shock the hell out of people. I understand the build to the Nash and Awesome thing, but wins and losses matter. Bob, agree or disagree here? No, you're right. I mean, wins and losses, that's the crutch of professional wrestling is, is wins and losses to go along with personal vendettas and feuds. You know, if you were to eliminate that, then you're kind of limiting the basis of the form of entertainment that we all are you know, passionate fans about. You know, to see this match go less than four minutes is incredibly frustrating and a huge indicator that, you know, Vince Russo has always been, has always had like the mentality of, in terms of TV wrestling, and I know this is a pay-per-view, but it's, with the formatting and everything, this is just an extended Nitro. You know, people don't tune in for wrestling. They tune in for segments and characters and stuff like that. Seemingly, if this is a trend-setting thing for Russo, he's burning through matches, burning through Sting and Booker T. Now you're burning through Steiner and Awesome. And people might be like, well, you're not really burning through. It's only three minutes or whatever. But you know what? It, it kind of takes that appeal away from it. You know, it's kind of like you know, you're going back to late 91 with Hogan and Flair. You know, you do that match all over the country for three months at a time. And by the time you get to WrestleMania, you know, it's like, well, we've already seen this match like three or four times. You know, let's say come October or November or December, and you're trying to build this up. This is a you can guarantee these guys are going to be wrestling on television several more several more times, and you're just wasting this away on pay per view. It's just a little, it's unnecessary. Like you're kind of booking yourself into a corner. You don't want to have awesome job so soon, but then you want to kind of keep Steiner strong. So which one are you going to choose? And for me, I would have put Awesome over. He just came into the company. I don't think a loss here by Scott Steiner is going to damage him all that much because if you're able to promote Mike Awesome correctly, it kind of should be seen as, hey, Scott Steiner just wasn't the better man that night. And then Steiner can get a, a win back later on down, down the line, and you can build a rivalry from that. But to have this be a three-minute interference kind of to continue on the awesome Nash feud, I guess, is just, it's just a wasted match. Awesome submitting kind of takes away that allure of him. You know, this like huge monster guy that I've seen in ECW and taking all these unprotected chair shots. And now he gets hit by a crutch and he taps out to a camel clutch. Yeah. Freaking, you know what I mean? It's just like, what are we we doing? So I I don't, I don't think this really benefited much of anybody. And it's unfortunate because I think Scott Steiner and Mike Gossam, if you give him an extended amount of time, could really put forth a really good match. I would not have put this match here. I 
would not have put Mike Awesome anywhere near a scenario where he could lose. I would have put Mike Awesome against Bam Bam Bigelow, uh, which they did earlier, but I would have made that a more prominent get-over match for Awesome, as Bam Bam kind of did with the wall just a month ago. Bam Bam's the kind of guy that's got enough cachet. People know his name, and he can be a get-over guy for big new stars, like the wall was. And now Mike Awesome, who realistically should be taking that spot on the roster, could. And then you have... Awesome and Bam Bam, who you know could have a, you know, no pun intended, awesome match. Give him six, seven minutes. Awesome, go over clean. Bam Bam can do all his shit. Awesome can kick out of it. Awesome can kick, can get all, most of the stuff in on Bam Bam. Probably not the power bomb, but maybe he could. I don't know. Uh, and you have Awesome win. And then afterwards, Nash comes in and leathers him. And maybe Awesome is staggering in days, but he certainly doesn't do the job. This was not well thought out. This was a good idea, and this was a match that could have headlined or been the semi-main on an important pay-per-view where you build up Awesome, you build up Steiner, and then you have a clash of the Titans. And it doesn't at that point, whoever wins, both guys come out ahead. But here, you've just paid what a, a large five-figure, perhaps even six-figure, effectively settlement to ECW to bring this guy in. He's their world champion, or at least. Technically, he is. I don't know if they vacated it or not. I haven't listened to the W to the ECW volume yet. But to the extent that you're going to pay a whole bunch of money to then sign a guy to a contract where you're going to pay him a whole bunch of more money, and he has the potential to be a top guy, probably not the top guy, but a top guy, and then you job him out to Scott Steiner in three minutes. I don't care if a goddamn bulldozer, bulldozer ran him over. You don't do this finish. Terrible, 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 terrible. And Daniel, here you are. It wasn't on Nitro. It was right here. Backstage, Russo fires Dustin Rhodes. And uh, Russo incorrectly says Dustin was uh, only good as gold dust, which is objectively wrong. Dustin's actually been pretty good in this American nightmare, uh, you know, moody cowboy gimmick that he's been doing. So Dustin. Well, and let's not forget about the natural either. Well, no, that's yes. Absolutely. 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 Gold dust especially towards the end, might have been some of the worst things that old Dustin has ever done. No time to linger because we still have one, two, three, four, five matches to go. Woo-hoo. The other. <laughs> Stay with me, guys. Stay with me. We just have the, uh, the, the tertiary actor from Scream winning the world title uh, later on. And it's the other U.S. title semifinal match, Sting versus Vampiro. And I've written this match should have had a six-month build and been the semi-main at Starcade or the main event at Halloween Havoc. But here we are. Sting hits the ring like a house of fire, uh, but Vamp takes the early advantage with punches and kicks. Sting hooks up and drops Vampiro. They brawl outside, and Sting hits Vamp with a chair. Back in the ring, a top rope splash gets Sting the two. Outside, Sting misses a splash into the guardrail. Vamp nails Sting with a super kick, and we're in the ring again, and Vamp bails on a top rope attempt uh, for a shoulder tackle. A back suplex gets Vamp a two, and a vertical suplex gets him another two. But Sting counters a top rope drop kick and hits the Scorpion Death Drop, and he locks in the Scorpion Death Lock, and Vampiro taps out. Sting wins by submission in 559, Sting over Vampiro. Daniel. Another one of these matches that maybe they could have heated up and had a real hot program, but instead here we are six minutes in the semifinals of the U.S. title tournament. Well, unfortunately, yes, because it keeps on repeating itself. This could have gone on for, like I say, months. So I would happily watch them. Well, maybe maybe they will, but 
we, we, oh, they've kind of already given it given it away for within a week. But um, one thing to sort of note, that's two wins for Sting, two clean wins for Sting. Right. Um, guess they're sort of giving Sting a bit of protection here. No interference needed for him. He's the he's the strongest one, I guess, being in the Millionaires Club. He's sort of posted as the as the big sort of hero in terms of this uh, the US heavyweight tournament. Not yeah, just refreshing to see a, a clean win, albeit in another short match that doesn't really do much for Vampiro, really. Bob, these guys, uh, WCW, I mean, they have a Halloween-themed pay-per-view that recently has been one of, if not their biggest show of the year, and they have two spooky-themed Halloween characters here. Why the fuck wasn't this built for Halloween Havoc? If you told me you had Sting and Vampiro and then you created a pay-per-view called Halloween Havoc, I would assume this would be the main event. But it's here. What am I missing? That's a really all really good points. Uh, and probably something that if you were to ask uh, Vince Russo, he probably would just say he would probably just shrug and say, "Whatever, bro. You don't get it." Yeah, no. This is another kind of frustrating thing because uh, you know the months leading into this on television, you know, commentary was really kind of promoting Vampiro as a potential like the next thing. You know, yes. He's got the face paint and all these things. He's got some good moves. He's over with the crowd, I would say. Even when he was doing uh, the stuff with Insane uh, Clown Posse last year. This was Dusty and Magnum Part 2 with face paint. It could have been. Right. Yeah, it could have been, I guess. Uh, maybe not to that extreme, but, you know, we'll go with it. <laughs> but, you know, you know, I mean, this is, you know, you're right. If you if you build it up, you know, these guys should, should be buddies for a, you know, a long time. Why not have? And obviously, what happens later on, you know, I'm not really spoiling anything, but we'll get into it when we get there. But you know, why not? Maybe the new blood have a guy that in with the Millionaires Club and like turns, you know, and eventually turns on him, and he's part of. It's all a ruse, you know. Sting's trusting him, you know. We're brothers, all these things. Yeah. And like you're saying, Halloween Havoc or Starcade, you know, you have that emotional, you know, bond and connection to it. Sting doesn't need to win here. I understand why he does win. I understand for the tournament's sake that maybe having him win is the right decision. But here's the problem with all this. Like you've mentioned before, Sting should not be in this environment. Sting should not be in the United States Championship tournament. He should not be going over, really, guys like Booker T and Vampiro. He's in the wrong bracket. If he's in the main event, he's only wrestling one person, uh, and it really it should not be Jeff Jarrett to begin with. But you know, you have him as that foundation, maybe realistically as your world champion, because I think he has long longevity and can produce quality matches to kind of combat your competition uh but instead you know you're putting him in a secondary title and now he's going over all of your new blood heel guys that you're trying to build up and wanting the the fans to kind of be interested and care about but now when they're all losing matches in under seven minutes or eight minutes clean uh, as a sheet too right there's no interference you know these guys you know you're hyping on television all these 40 year old guys are past their prime but then you know the guys that are 30 and doing all these flashy moves are losing relatively easy uh, you're just you're not booking it correctly whatsoever. You're not going to be able to, to draw money with any of these guys with how you're presenting them. So, uh, you know, the the action was average. I mean, it, it was okay, but you know, just really questionable directions to go in because, like you've kind of noted with the first episode, I feel like that the first few months these the new blood should be getting all the heat. They should be getting all the momentum. You know, Millionaires Club can maybe try to get some stuff later on, you know, here and there. But the only way you build people up is through victories. Hopefully on television or something, these guys can get 
better momentum and get maybe wins where more eyes are on it. I don't know if maybe that's part of the reasoning here. But, I mean, I get why Sting wins, but just maybe don't put in guys that you value from the new blood in this tournament environment knowing that they're not going to win. We go straight to the cruiserweight six-way. It's Chris Candido, the artist, Juventud Guerrera, Shannon Moore, Lash LaRue, and Crowbar. And we start and we settle into Candido versus Crowbar. And the Northern Light Suplex gets Crowbar a two. Lash in for a two on Crowbar. Hoovy works over Lash and gets a bulldog on Prince. Outside, Lash and Candido brawl. Daphne gets Crowbar by accident with the Hurricane Rana. Lash takes out Daphne and Crowbar. Prince over the top, and Hoovy takes out everyone. From the crowd, David Flair runs everyone off. And in the ring, Candido misses a swan dive headbutt. Prince tries a top rope something or other. As usual, he fucks it up. Tammy runs in and takes out Prince. Oh, there it is. I just assumed the artist fucked it up. I didn't read the next line of my notes. No, Tammy runs in and takes out Prince, which allows Candido to get the three. And only 5-12. Six men, five minutes. New Cruiserweight champion, Chris Candido. Bob. I mean, I don't know. I mean, these guys are just doing stuff to do it, really. You know, an interesting cast of people. I mean, it's hilarious that Prince Iakea, or excuse me, the artist formerly known as Prince Iakea, uh, was involved in this. He's just—it's amazing that he is uh, still employed. Um, but I mean, Candido might be the best option. Juventud Guerrero still not being able to get a shine in the cruiserweight division now that Kidman and Ray Jr. and all those guys are not really uh, involved at the moment is uh, kind of unfortunate. No, I mean this—this this probably should have opened the show. To be quite honest with you, it's a surprising that it's fourth from last. Mm-hmm. Weird, weird placement. Guys doing all these high flying moves and stuff like that, really amping up the crowd for, I guess your semi main events really. But I, I, mean, I have no problem with Candido going over. I think Candido's done uh, fairly well since his uh, debut here in WCW, and he's had some decent stuff on TV. So I, I don't mind uh, Candido winning the title, uh, and hopefully the Cruiserweight title gets a better focus compared to. Uh, the good old Oklahoma days. So I'll uh, try to stay positive for this one. Yeah, stay positive. I think this was the right outcome. Uh, Daniel, your thoughts on this match and your thoughts as uh, Chris Candido as the chairman of the cruiserweight division. Uh, well, one quick question on 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 that. Um, what's the cruiserweight limit and how does Chris Candido fit into that? Because he's quite big. He's for a, a thick, cruiserweight, in my opinion. He's a thick. Wasn't the WWF? Wasn't it 234? Wasn't what was it? What was the light heavyweight? I think it's two. I think it was two twenty. I think two twenty. I think is right. Was, was my guess, and I can't see Candido being under two twenty, considering how big he is. Let's just put that to one side. Um, let's say he is still a cruiserweight. No, I, I, I agree. I think that was the right decision, especially with Tammy coming in with the interference and then sort of helping him along. Yeah, shame about Hoovy not being pushed, pushed a bit more. Maybe we'll be going forward. Who knows? Uh, yeah, the artist is just rubbish. Horrible. Or, or. <laughs> just horrible, yeah. Uh, I, like, Dashler and Crowbar were, were quite good. Shannon Moore's interesting as well. But, um, yeah, good, good person to have to, to start off as this new sort of run of cruiserweights. And singles matches with in any sort of formation outside of the artist would be fine going forward, I think. Yeah, and I would like to see Candido versus Kidman. I would like to see Candido versus some of the uh, some of the Luchas, Hoovy, if Mysterio comes back. Uh, I think Lash LaRue has a place on the card as an underneath cruiserweight. 
crowbar is shown to be uh, capable, and obviously all the guys in three count, including Shannon Moore. Again, this is just too much. Uh, pick one. The rest of them are tournament style. Why not? Why can't you just have a four-guy tournament on Thunder and have Chris Candido versus one of these guys to get both guys over? Have yes. a good work, a, a well, a well-worked under 10-minute match. Candido wins, and you know you get a little heat on Tammy, which is which is fine. And I understand that they want to get Paisley out there. I understand, but she's with the artist. She's with the wrong person. Put her with anybody else in their money. She has developed well. She's absolutely gorgeous. And she's just with the the wrong guy. And so you put Candido and Tammy against Paisley and pretty much anybody else in the cruiserweight crop, and you've got something better. So the seeds of something decent are planted here, but the, the constant inclusion of Prince Ayukea, the artist, I, it's baffling to me. I don't understand it. I know he's got some heritage in the business, but like how far can that take you? Tag title tournament final. Shane Douglas and Buff Bagwell versus Ric Flair and Lex Luger. And again, the announcers try to rationalize Rick wearing street clothes. Just stop. Russo's out with Shane and Buff, and Russo's going to join us on the call for this match. And Russo blames Ric Flair for his demise last year. So a little bit of fleshing out of the storyline here. Lots of stalling with Lex and Buff. And Buff takes the early advantage over Lex. Lex gets a number of shots against buff but shane comes in and takes over on lex luger manages a huge press slam on shane and on the floor shane and rick battle shane takes tags in buff who battles rick flair takes a long beating and bumps heads with the franchise shane yells fuck you flair and gets his 10 punches lex heats up and takes advantage flair locks in the figure four but is distracted by russo russo pulls the ref out on a three count on the distraction, Brian Adams and Brian Clark, remember them, they hit the ring. They look like a tag team. Double team to Luger, and Russo counts the three. So on the three count by Russo, after interference from Adams and Clark, who we learn later on in the month are going by Chronic, the new tag team champions are Shane Douglas and Buff Bagwell. Daniel, your thoughts on this match and the convoluted finish? Well, exactly. That was it. It was, the, it was how convoluted was the finish going to be. That's what I was just waiting for the match. To start. As soon as Russo came out to come out to come, I was just thinking, okay, so how is how is this going to play to the finish? It was either going to be the finish we kind of got, or a botched finish from Russo and Flair and Package somehow uh, overcome the odds again. I kind of almost expected to see that the Harris brothers and all the mama luke's against to bring everybody out again why not right uh, um yeah it was just it was a matter of time before something convoluted happened and that's what we got before before that it was kind of a sort of standard tag match like cutting off the ring like the flare tagging in package but the ref not seeing it standard but yeah it was just a matter of time before something daft happened and it and it did bob new tag team champions buff bagwell Shane Douglas. We have a new tag team, Chronic, Adams, and Clark. And we have Flair Luger mixed in. Can you help sort us out? Uh, sort any of this out for us? Yeah, I wish I could. Uh, so here's my here's my issue with kind of the storytelling here. Uh, to start the show, Russo wants to make sure that Luger and uh, Flair don't advance on. I mean, you sent out the Harris brothers. And now about 
and I don't know, an hour 45 into the show or whatever it is at this point, uh, you reveal that you have Brian Adams and Brian Clark or Chronic up your sleeve and they come in and, and prevent them from winning the tag team titles. Why wouldn't you just have them make their debut or return in that original match and then have them continue on into the tournament and uh, and see where we go? Now, I sure I know that kind of handcuffs you with you don't want to do Bagwell Douglas against Chronic in the finals. Or you could, because maybe you could turn Chronic into a good, a, you know, a face team or something. Now you Shoot might be on, thinking, Stuart on Nitro. Yeah, right, or whatever. Spoiler, spoiler alert. Yeah. So <laughs> you know, you know, if you uh, you can't turn him baby face and heel within an hour and a half, and I think, well, you'd be surprised how many times that that's happened with Vince Russo. Uh, sometimes within minutes of each other. So no, I mean, basic is good. Yeah. I guess in some ways this tag match was basic standard. Uh, it wasn't overly offensive in terms of action, really, because you, you kind of know what you're getting into with these four guys, I would say. Uh, but the finish is just ridiculous uh, for Russo to suddenly be a referee and count the fall. I don't think it really puts over Bagwell and Douglas at all. Any of this, uh, you know, needing the help of chronic and then technically a referee, not really counting the fall. Uh, it's just kind of ba- you know, basic, uh, lazy heel work to kind of get some heat on him, and you know, and to be honest with you, I don't really, I'd, I think kind of dating back uh, to the the first match here for Bagwell and Douglas against Harlem Heat, I think Bagwell kind of suffers as being a heel uh, at this point because he does have that charisma and that personality where it was kind of kind of getting over in the summer of like '99, and I know we had our debate about that uh, a little while ago, but not uh, looking good for me right now. No, so but I, I think he. You know, I think is in a face. I think the fans want to kind of cheer him. I think he, for some reason with WWE fans, he's a a likable, cheerable guy. So I, I I don't know if this heel team with Douglas is really going to carry on all that uh, all that long. But uh, I, I think the right team went over. I just you, you probably have to do it cleanly and uh, the right way. But I'm sure in any circumstance, Russo would have gotten involved to kind of continue his issues with Flair. Basic, average stuff. Chronic is in there. That's cool, whatever. It's just kind of there for me, really. It, it just makes Buff and Shane look like absolute fucking chumps. Like, you need two guys, and you need your boss. You need two massive... They look like they should be called Demolition 2000. These guys are massive. Then you have Russo, and you need... So it basically takes five dudes to beat these guys that you've been calling old for a week, or for a week, I guess. Uh, you know, we forget everything was set up six days ago. I just don't see how something like this helps anybody. Sure, they're the tag champs, but they needed three other dudes to help them do it. And then you have Chronic that look like a real tag team in there, and they should be the babyface team or the heel team that the babyfaces have to aspire to be. Like, this shit's not hard, but they're making it so hard. At this point in the show, it was not boring, but it was exhausting. And knowing that we had two title matches left, including one in the main event, which was guaranteed to be chocked full of shit like this. I just, part of me was hoping that we can get a relatively clean tag title match that could possibly, maybe have Russo interfere a little bit or just something. But as we talk about almost every month with this company, if you have this finish in every match, when you have it in a match that needs it, it means nothing. And so give us a couple more clean finishes and then do the bullshit here or don't do as much bullshit here, but, I don't know. I, I think I'm just exhausted from the show. 
But we still have two matches to go, and ideally they're the, or theoretically, they're the two most important. It's the U.S. title tournament finals. So, yes, you will have watched an entire tournament unfold before you in the undercard. Scott Steiner versus Sting. The bell rings and the crowd is very hot for Sting. Scott gets the early advantage with strikes. Sting counters with a drop kick. Crossbody over the top gets Sting the advantage. Press slam by Scott. And he jaws with a gal in the crowd. This is a slow match, pretty much dominated by Scott Steiner. But Sting fights off a second rope suplex. A series of clotheslines and splashes by Sting. But Scott pulls the ref in on a Stinger splash. And from under the ring in your house, uh, February 1996, if you need a reference point, Vampiro pulls Sting under, and Vamp emerges with a bloody Sting. And the referee recovers just in time to register the submission. Scott Steiner defeats Sting in 5 minutes and 33 seconds to capture the U.S. title. Daniel, your thoughts on the match and the angle? Well, yeah, Uh, the match, yeah, it was okay. Classic sort of Scott Steiner getting referees injured to sort of try and help him and things like that. But yeah, and also, I guess what the positive that Vampiro's thing isn't just one and done for this week. It will continue. Yes. But what a weird way to get it done, though, with the coming up from the ring, putting Sting down and then him then Sting coming up busted or possibly internal bleeding or however they're going to pitch it just out of what being under the ring didn't even hear anything or they don't see anything. And yet, and then yet stings passed out Steiner wins by Steiner recliner. And that's, that's it within, yeah, what five, five and a half minutes. Right. Not exactly a great sort of showing for what is your secondary title. Just to have another sort of quick match that just ends out of, an odd interference. Do you think that they needed to do this finish with this match, considering all of the other, I mean, the show is basically a a confetti. I mean, it's just shit everywhere. Do you need to do this finish here? No one's going to remember this. I barely remember this had happened until I was reading through my notes because there's so much that's happening. Couldn't this be an angle that closes a nitro and gives you weeks of stuff to build on? It could, you could have had, I mean, I think Scott Steiner was always gonna gonna win the tournament. You could have had Scott Steiner beat Sting. Maybe, you know, they probably would have done some sort of odd finish, but not something of of this sort of fantastical kind of odd element to it. Just have, I don't know, just some some sort of screwiness, or maybe even Steiner does win clean. Who knows? Because I think sort of Steiner was almost sort of is another sort of outlier with with the new but not not so much so book, like Booker T, but he he was sort of saying, oh don't put me in any don't put me in any box or anything. I'm just Scott Steiner. I'm my own man. So you could even have him wing clean and then do some sort of rematch or something where yeah Vampiro does get involved like weeks later. But yeah, to ha- have this on top of what we just saw in the tag match is just basically Russo seemingly going through how many different ways can we have an interference and he's just ticking them all off in the space of two hours two and a half hours Bob your thoughts on all that it's almost like repetitive at this point with all the issues that I, I find on the show in my opinion of course yeah no Steiner should just be able to go over cleanly and one of my major things that I've I've always said trust your talent and what, what I mean by that is 
if you or the talent should be able to trust your writing. It should go both ways. So if I were to present it to Sting, like, hey, man, I need you, I'm going to have uh, Steiner go over clean. And then Sting were to come back to me, like, dude, that's going to hurt. That's going to hurt me or whatever. Like, I can't come back from that. Then I would have serious doubts about that talent because a win or a loss should never damage you to a point where you can't come back from it. Uh, if you have good writing, any loss is able – you're able to come back from that. So Sting losing to Scott Steiner, to me, the next night on Nitro or there that night, if it's a competitive match and it's a believable finish, uh, no, Sting's not going to be hurt from that. And I mean, Sting has gone through years of bullshit, and the fans just continue to love him for many reasons why. You know, the, the character is, is enjoyable, and he's you know a decent in-ring guy, and he's had some really good matches throughout the years. Uh, the finish here is exactly what you guys are saying. This is something you set up on television and you build towards a, a pay-per-view match. We're doing everything in reverse, and it's because of the timing of when they wanted to do this. And my major issue with this, coming out of this, I'm not going to be thinking, dude, yeah, Sting Vampiro, let's go. I just saw him beat Vampiro in under six minutes clean in the ring. So I already know that Sting can beat Vampiro, and he can do it very easily and rather convincingly. So the heat there for that match, or potential feud, is greatly diminished compared to not having this happen. You go on Nitro, have the finals of this tournament, and and then build it up that way. Because at least you know you can, after four weeks of all this stuff, and then Vampiro loses, there's still like, hey, he did all that crap to Sting though, and, and you can build off of it. They've already cut Vampiro off at the legs here for at least a few to a Sting. I feel like I mean, there's anytime you have a convincing lo- loss, it really damages you. It seems like they're putting all the clean finishes on the wrong matches and then all the stuff that has interference in matches that really shouldn't have interference attached to it. I feel Steiner should not be in this U.S. Ter- US title uh, tournament to begin with. This should have been like Jared or something. It would have suited the character better as well. I don't think Steiner would really need help to, to win this match. But Jared, I, I could see him needing help to to beat a guy like Sting. So this, seg- this segment and match, just like many other things on the show, just didn't vibe with me very well at all, and I don't think it was presented or written uh, in a good manner whatsoever. It's our long-awaited world title match. It's Jeff Jarrett, the chosen one, versus Diamond Dallas Page, who's out with Kimberly. They both get full locker room walk to the ring entrances. You've seen it. Think Survivor Series 97 or all those great WWF matches or the Goldberg-type entrance. But there's no Michael Buffer, so at least WCW has learned its lesson in some respects. DDP gets punches to start in a clothesline, and a DDT gets DDP a two. Brawl to the outside, and Kimberly slaps Jarrett, and they brawl into the crowd, into the arena. This takes a while. We eventually make it back into the ring, and Jeff blocks a sunset flip for a two. Up on the ropes, Jeff hits a superplex. He waffles DDP with a chair, and Jeff's got the beat down on lock here. DDP counters Jeff's offense with a set-out powerbomb. Eric Bischoff makes his way down the aisle, and the brawl spills that way. Kimberly distracts Jeff, and DDP takes over. Jeff recovers and returns to a slow beatdown. Page pays back Jeff with a ball shot of his own. Jarrett blocks a diamond cutter, hits DDP with a belt, but only gets a two. Jarrett locks in the figure four as Eric Bischoff approaches the ring. Suddenly, Kimberly has the guitar. DDP causes the rope break and gets a series of roll-ups. 
Page gets a twisting rock bottom for a two. And DDP locks in the sleeper. And that's Bischoff's cue to hit the ring. DDP hits the diamond cutter on Jarrett. But suddenly Kimberly comes in the ring and nails DDP with the guitar. Swerve. Jarrett gets the stroke on DDP and the three. And Jeff Jarrett is the WCW champion. And Kimberly Page has turned on Diamond Dallas Page. Bob, what else could have happened? Yeah, I mean, the amount of angles that are taking place on here uh, is just baffling. This is un- unbelievable. I, I want to see what Russo would do if he had three months between pay-per-views, how much stuff he would just burn through just for the fun of it. Um, I mean, okay, the, the match is okay. They do brawling. They do the usual stuff to kind of cover up time and maybe limitations or whatever. It was um, probably the best match of the show. Uh, I mean, just it was the only match that had any time. So it was probably yeah. the best match of the night. But that finish. Anyway, please continue. No. Yeah. So, yeah, when you get to go like 16 minutes or whatever it is, you're, you're destined to you know, maybe fall into something at least decent to watch. Again, this is the match that shouldn't be for what they're going for. I don't. I mean, DDP was a failed world champion last year. They mistimed it. He does not come across as a main event guy to me, nor does Jeff Jarrett. So you really have two upper mid-card guys going for your world championship. Sting and Scott Steiner, at the bare minimum, should have been in this spot. The fact that Ric Flair is nowhere near the world championship scene, uh, or Hulk Hogan for that matter, nowhere near it, is just baffling that you're going to go with Jeff Jarrett and DDP at, at this point in time to start your reboot. I know I, I know Jarrett's been getting a push through the moon in here in 2000, but I, he's not there yet. He just isn't. He hasn't been built up properly to get into here, into this point. This finish does not do any favors to Jeff Jarrett. I'm assuming the guitar shot on Nitro might have loosened some uh, screws in Kimberly's brain, and that's why she is now a heel. I don't know. Seems like a story that they would maybe roll with. So who knows? Maybe she has to hit with, get hit with another guitar, and then she'll end up uh, back with DDP. Who knows with Vince Russo at this point? This is a match where you needed a clean finish, in my opinion. If Jeff Jarrett should have been able to beat DDP clean, yes, and uh, and just go with it. He needs he needs that. Mon- I don't want to say monumental. I don't think that's the right word. But he needs a big win for the group if he's going to be the leader. If your leader needs help. Uh, you know, you're, you're going to fail. I mean, you look at Hogan with NWO. At some point in time, the guy was able to win matches cleanly, or at least on his own. He didn't necessarily always need help to do that. Uh, but, again, I mean, Jared obviously is not anywhere near that in that point in time. Decent match, poor outcome, poor finish, kind of just doing – I think they're just doing stuff to, to do it and to keep you on your toes. But with so much stuff going on here, a lot of these angles – are going to be forgotten about or you, know, you can't possibly consume all this and remember it or even care about it. You're going to maybe care about one or two things when you have 15 things going on. I mean, I already talking about this right now. I kind of already forgot Hogan had a gun pointed at him. This is so much stuff that's going yes. on. Yes. Yes. So uh, I think that's a struggle for these guys, but hopefully now going into uh slamboree, which is actually a quick turnaround yeah. comparatively. Uh, so you're going like two months with it's like, really quick you know builds up here three week so turnaround I, yeah yeah so i feel like there's going to be even more crash crash course television where there's like so much going on that you're not going to be able to keep up with it so i, I think we're going to be in 
for a treat, so to speak, here uh, the next couple of months for WCW television. <laughs> shows, our shows are going to get a hell of a lot longer, I'm learning. Uh, <laughs> Daniel, pick up on any of Bob's comments or just anything else, because I am out of questions about this show. No, I, I fully agree with, with what Bob was saying. This, yeah, If this was the US title and Steiner Sting was the world title, I'd probably be a bit happier, but but it is what it is. So, And yeah, because it got the time it did, it probably did stand out as, as one of the better matches. I, I did think, though, when um, Jarrett had the figure four on and Bishop was down, we were going to get a Montreal reenactment, but we didn't. Don't give them any ideas. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure it's already going to happen some point down the line because why wouldn't it yeah another overbooked finish why is Kimberly now a heel who who knows I mean I'm sure I've explained it but I can't say I was probably listening at that point anymore yeah and Jarrett's the world champion his destiny is fulfilled does it really mean anything now probably not we learn on Nitro the next on in a couple of weeks that Kimberly just wants a divorce, but we don't really get much of an explanation. No. The show ends with Bischoff and Kimberly and Jarrett all in an embrace. Uh, Daniel, your closing thoughts and a score rating out of ten. Closing thoughts are too many matches in not enough time. It was a sprint from from Monday through to Sunday, really, and we got just got faster and faster as it went on. I can't really... Th- I want. I really want to take some positives away from it. I, can't, I guess the one positive I'll take from it is Steiner as the US champion. I do like Scott Steiner. I'm glad he's got a title. We wish he was the world, but if he's the US champion, so be it. Score out of 10. I'm going to go three, I think. I think there's a, some, some parts I did like, but it was just too much. A lot of diminishing returns. Bob calling. It, it's a bad overall show. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's really any other way around it. But I want to point out that, you know, Russo has some good ideas on what he wants to do. Uh, the problem is that he threw them all onto one show so that you, way you can't properly consume it and really truly understand it. If this were to be spaced out over four, five, six weeks. Months. Months even. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> But I'm giving the benefit of doubt on weeks. You know, we'll just start slow and work our way up here. Uh, you know, it, it's probably potentially compelling television, or at least, you know, interesting. Nothing that he did here was outside the box or anything that we've never seen before. It's all pretty basic stuff, aside from the you know gun being pointed at Hulk Hogan, potential murder. But everything else was you know by the book, really. I mean, we've seen it countless times. You could probably put on any wrestling show in the last 15 years, and one of these angles is going to be happening. But again, when you do it right after each other, boom, 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 there's no, there's no, there's no care for it. I mean, almost every segment, every other segment was like a heel turn, or someone's getting fired, or somebody gets hit with a crutch and screws them over. Like all the screw jobs, eventually you just become numb to it, and there's nothing that you're really going to care about. So if you become numb to the angles that you're providing, you're going to have to do something really monumental to drive up that interest. Sure, there's like little pieces here where there's like some quality stuff, like Sting and Booker and Vampiro and Kidman, but that's borderline Nitro stuff. It would yeah. probably be really good for Thunder. Maybe you put try to put it like top of the hour Nitro for Sting and Booker and something, but nothing here is you need it on pay per view. This was booked as for television, uh, not to be something that you spend thirty or thirty five dollars or whatever it is. Uh, on these, uh, on something like this. So for a for a paying customer, 
hugely disappointed. I'm also going to give it a three out of ten. But again, and again, and I feel like the same trend's going to happen here for Slamboree. I don't think a lot of stuff is going to be making a whole lot of sense. Like I said, growing pains for WCW tends to happen for several months. Uh, so hopefully they can catch wind on something and, and, and improve on this. But this was just a bad overall wrestling show. You know, the the inclination is if you've watched Super Brawl and you watched Uncensored, that this show is better. Uh, I mean, at least in, in, the, in, the inevitable, or in the inevitable words of our friend Chris Lacey, and it's kind of become the theme of, of this project, which is if it's bad, at least it shouldn't be boring. And if there's one thing the show wasn't, it wasn't boring. Now, almost nothing that happened on it made sense. They burned through, in my opinion, four months of storylines, six months of storylines between the Nitro that preceded it, this show, and the Nitros that followed. They burned through about six months of storylines, in my opinion. This show, as a watch-through, if I'm just trying to keep attention for two and a half hours, you couldn't look away because there was something happening every five seconds. So when I first watched it, I thought, yeah, this is the best WCW pay-per-view in a while. But then as I'm going back through my notes and I'm thinking these things through and then I'm watching the follow-up shows, I'm like, no, this wasn't better. This was just different. And you guys are absolutely right. This is a 3 out of 10 show just for very different reasons. And now Jared's in command. Awesome. Just watching now as Jared picks up Paige. Picks up Paige. Diamond Cutter. Diamond Cutter. He never saw it coming. Awesome. Awesome. Rip the door off the cage. Referee down to count. One. Two. Count. It's in. He tried to stop the count. Three. He got the three count. He got the three count. He got the three count. And we've got a new world heavyweight champion. Canyon came in. Canyon pulled up. Second, Ben Piro. Good night. What? What's he doing? What's Ben Piro? He just cleaned off the announce table. Ben Piro, did you see that? He gives Sting kind of the, the throat side. My God! A red liquid from the top. Just what is? God, you smell that? What is that? It came down. Ben Piro gave the sign, and Sting is drenched in it. Sting cannot even stand. And now Vampiro turned to the entryway. And he's calling out for troops at Sting. It's picked up and oh. slammed in that red liquid. I've never this witnessed. This is unbelievable. I've never witnessed anything like the this ring in my is, life. It's full. What is that? Sting's covered in red. Vampiro's covered in red. And Vampiro likes it. And here comes the new blood to take even more out of Sting. But Sting is shocked. He's hurt. He's repulsed. And as if there wasn't even more to come before I let these gentlemen go and have to pay them overtime in the process, we have more things to talk about, including two more world title changes. Yes. We go to the April 24th Nitro, and it's packed full of stuff, as you've come to expect here. But two things set up in the last 20 minutes of the show. We get Jeff Jarrett versus Diamond Dallas Page in a cage match for the WCW title, as well as Vampiro versus Sting in a first blood match. 
The World Heavyweight title is your semi-main event on Nitro. Boy, have times have changed. And it's in the cage. And Russo is out. And DDP is up against the odds. And Mike Awesome is involved. But the long story short here is that Diamond Dallas Page, just eight days after this Spring Stampede show that we've just reviewed, where Jeff Jarrett was crowned the chosen one in the World Heavyweight Champion, Diamond Dallas Page dethrones Jarrett and wins the World Heavyweight title. Immediately following that, shoehorning it into the overtime hour, is Vampiro versus Sting in a first blood match. And Sting basically kicks the shit out of Vampiro for a couple few minutes. And then all of a sudden, I've written here, Vampiro carries Sting, as in the movie. And a whole bunch of red, viscous liquid falls from the ceiling and absolutely drenches Sting and Vampiro and the mat. And the new blood comes out and they put the boots to Sting in the blood. And to close the show, they hang Sting from the rafters. <sighs> Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Uh, Daniel, I'll start with you, and you get to talk about the Jeff Jarrett DDP cage match. The match was fine. I thought it was almost better than anything on this pay-per-view. But your thoughts about hot-shotting the belt to DDP just eight days after they finally crowned Jeff Jarrett, who we're supposed to believe is the chosen one. Well, yeah, exactly. Um yeah, after this whole sort of new era and stuff, you'd expect Jarrett to be holding the belt probably, for, I wouldn't maybe say the rest of the year, but certainly for a decent period of time, for him to lose it, what, eight days later in a five-six-minute five, five, cage match, again with more even more interference in, it's just, just bizarre. I mean, why are they going to just try and have Jarrett win the belt back again later then i'm not sure what this hiccup or hurdle was just to get a few more people watching nitro because anything could happen on nitro type thing but it was just yeah i mean de- yeah decent match i suppose before it was even though it's only a couple of minutes but just bizarre choice to move the belt right over again yeah the 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 talk in the various uh sheets was that the the ratings had started strong for the April 10 Nitro, but by this point in the month, they were basically back to where they were uh, when Kevin Sullivan was calling the creative shots. And so this was set to be the Slamboree main event, and they basically hot-shotted it into into Nitro. That would concern me if I was looking at this and that we're only three weeks into this new regime, and they're already hot-shotting a pay-per-view main event. It's been decently well set up, all things considered, into the semi-main event of a Nitro. Bob, and then we have Sting being hanged. Where have we seen this before? Everything about these final two matches is just head-scratching and absolutely uh, ridiculous to me. Um, how am I? What am I supposed to take out of this whole red liquid thing? Whereas, you know, the commentators are really sure to not point out that it's supposed to be blood or whatever. That's Didn't they call it the red or something? Shivani yeah, the, was like yeah. the, red, the red. This mysterious red liquid that also may be blood. I don't, we, we don't know. Uh, am I supposed to just believe that this is legitimately falling from the rafters and that there's not some guy with a bucket or something that's just dumping it onto Sting who is standing on a cue mark or something? I don't, I don't understand. They're getting, they're getting, they're trying to be too creative about something that, Really is just ludicrous. I think technically this is seen as a victory for Vampiro, which is hilarious because, uh, like you mentioned, he, he got his ass kicked and then a red liquid fell from the ceiling, which 
knocked out Sting to a point where he couldn't fight back. I, I, I don't know how much damage that could really happen there. Um, they, they had to set up the hanging or whatever on his little apparatus on his chest or whatever it was, if, I, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. It was it was just even as I'm talking about it, I'm like I'm like squinting out of confusion. Like I'm watching it on television and it's like what why? What what is this what is the point of this? You're overcomplicating a simple feat in wrestling to to, to develop a, an angle or storyline. This isn't going to make me want to see Sting beat up Vampiro because again, if I watched the pay-per-view for last night, this guy already lost. Sure he dragged him under the ring and cost him a match, but he's not anywhere near the same level. You've already burned through the idea that Vampiro could be on the same level as Sting because he's clearly not. He's very far from it. Sting being involved in this undercard feud with a guy like Vampiro is just kind of wasting him away, similar to, as you mentioned, uh, kind of what he was dealing with throughout much of 95, really. So history is just repeating himself. So at, at, at this rate, come the year like 2004, uh, WCW should be red hot and uh, back <laughs> on the top of the ratings. It's... Just bizarre. I wish I had some salient thoughts or some revelatory ideas about where this is going, but it's just doing stuff to do stuff. And speaking of the ultimate example of that, yes, we dip our toe into thunder, which I know is not necessarily always required viewing, nor will it ever be. But this time we have a major exception. Kimberly went down in a heap. There's no referee, guys. There's a there's a referee. He's over towards our guest. One, two, three. What? 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 The, did, what, what is, did David Arquette just? What's going on here? David Arquette won the world title. David Arquette won the world title. He can't believe it. David Arquette won the world title. Did David Arquette just win the world title? Did I see that? David Arquette, he's got the belt. David Arquette, the world. David Arquette, the world. I'm going to say it again because I don't believe it. David Arquette is the world champion. Never in my life has Bobby the Brain Heenan been speechless. I don't know what the hell to say. Thunder, only two days after this 24th Nitro we've discussed. It's the 26th, and we have a main event tag team match for the world heavyweight title yes you heard me that you heard me say that correctly it is david arquette who's been pestering jeff jarrett both on wcw television and at the ready to rumble premiere and his buddy diamond dallas page versus jeff jarrett and eric bischoff and the gimmick is here if you get the pinfall you get the world title what could go wrong it's an immediate brawl between Bischoff and uh, between Bischoff and Arquette, and they disappear for a while to let DDP and Jeff wrestle in the ring. Bobby Heenan with the line of the night about Kimberly Page. She's wearing a slingshot. Watch it to understand. And Bischoff hustles back to ring and gives the impression that he's disposed of David Arquette. And at this point, DDP takes a pummeling. And then we're at the finish. DDP backs Kim into the corner and kisses her, and this incapacitates her. David Arquette is back, and he spears Bischoff. Jarrett hits DDP with the belt. We have simultaneous pins, and the ref counts David Arquette's pin 
on Eric Bischoff, David Arquette, B-level actor, is the WCW World Heavyweight Champion. Bob, we'll start with you. Thoughts on this angle? Uh, these guys don't get it. They really, truly don't get it. I mean, you from the beginning of the NWA, WCW, whatever you want to call it, it's a promotion that's prided itself, for the most part, on their in-ring. I mean, you could go you know, back to like 92 and stuff like that. Uh, WCW in-ring, far superior, I would say, to WWF. And I think that's a general trend. For most of the Monday Night Wars, I would say WCW in the, in the ring has been uh, better than, than WWF. That has changed, I would say, by now, at, at this point. For David Arquette to be your WCW world champion is the ultimate slap in the face, I would say, to diehard WCW fans. And I guess you could say I, I might want myself into that, considering I'm watching this. You know, to know that a guy like Booker T, you know, Chris Benoit prior to this, Eddie Guerrero's or whatever, weren't able to get BWW World Champion. And then you have the absolute nerve to think David Arquette, who you, I think you're being generous with a B-level ranking as, a, as an actor or even celebrity. He's even in that discussion because of who he's married to. Right. Courtney Cox. And, and I don't mean to be insulting towards David Arquette. I don't think he's going into the saying, hey, I might be WCW World Champion. He, I think he's just a, a victim of, of idiot writers who think that it'd be the right decision to do that. Is it going to give you press? Sure. But it's the wrong type of press. And then people want to say, well, any press is good press. That's not entirely true. I mean, you look at the steroid uh, controversy with the World Wrestling Federation, there's sex scandal from like eight years, you know, eight, almost 10 years ago. Really hurt the business for many, many years. Is WCW at a point where they can survive with that? I don't think so. I mean, their numbers on, on TV are good for TNT, but when you're comparing it to your competition, you're getting slaughtered every single week. Mm-hmm. And this has been going on for almost two years now, or over two years. You know, to, to be in a meeting and say, hey, what's going to turn us around? Oh, okay, uh, well, we got that movie Ready to Rumble coming out. All right, uh, the lead actor guy there. Not all, not Oliver Pratt. No, the other guy. Yeah, we'll go with Arquette as the world champion. I mean, how how can anybody leave that meeting thinking that's a good idea? It's just incredible to me. And I know, like, you know, Vince McMahon or whatever has held a championship. It's two different things because, I mean, at least McMahon was actually a regular character and there was heat attached to it. I mean, and he's enormous. I mean, let's let's yeah. not let, let's not beat around the bush here. David Arquette is he's smaller than the smallest cruiserweight they have on the roster. I mean, he's Rey Mysterio yeah. size without any of the athleticism and without any of the cachet or the believability. This guy can do anything. He's a fucking pipsqueak. And that doesn't help anything. At least no. when you have Vince McMahon holding the world title, you have a six foot two, 260 pound dude ripped to the gills. Like he's 50 years old, but he could still kick any anybody, any 30 year olds ass other than the two dudes on his roster. <laughs> like other yeah. than Austin and rock. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't mean to like cut you off there, but I think no. you're, you're, you're almost trying to find too much sense with that comparison because it really is the closest one, and it, it even it that it, it isn't. Right, and and then you want to, you know, people can say, well, you know, you're trying to do ratings or whatever. Let's be real here. Thunder is the least of their worries since almost after like six 
weeks of it in 98 when it started. They didn't care about it. Now you're putting this on thunder of all shows. It happened in my hometown here, Syracuse, New York. And it's absolutely a joke that it happened here. In Syracuse. I mean, I, I wish that, we, that Syracuse is remembered for uh, the Bret Hart shoving Vince down in the cage. Yeah. But instead, it's, you know, Arquette winning the strap. I could maybe see a justification if you were to do it on Nitro. But you know what? I think if you do it on Nitro, it's even worse for you. Because mm-hmm. anybody that jumps to that main event and they see that David Arquette is the world champion, they might not ever come back. At least on Thunder, maybe a good portion of your of your audience, the casual fan, may not have seen it. Of course, you know, they're probably going to be seeing it over the next course of you know, weeks of television. But, you know, to use this as a catalyst of maybe trying to get ratings, press, hype into your ready-to-rumble movie, they need to realize that the damage is on their brand. No matter what you incorporate there from the outside is never going to work. If Mike Tyson came into the WWF in 1995, it might not have the same effect as it were to in 1998 when it's on a clear upswing. Everything's rocking and rolling. Would it work out with him and like with, when Man Mountain Rock is there? Oh. Like, this is probably, like no, uh, this is like Buster Douglas coming in in 1995 and winning right. the world title. I mean, it's like yeah. this is somebody with no name value associated with professional wrestling at all. Yeah, it, anyway. it, it's good. It's good for the quick shock, and then by the time the show's over, you're just like, wait, what? Well, how was that even nothing? So I, I don't think it. They're, they're, this is the prime example of just putting everything against the wall and hoping that something works out. Daniel, we've got. DDP, who just lost his world title that he just won two days ago, celebrating with the new world champion, who's an actor. And DDP is the guy who was known as the guy who got into the business when he's 35 and he worked his ass off and he defied all the odds. And he's just lost his world title to an actor. I don't know. I don't even know how to like blend kayfabe and, and, and reality here, but like is any of this justified? And also, David Arquette or not, four world champions in three weeks? Just pick up on any of that. It's so headache-inducing. It really is. It's just what you and Bob have said in the last few minutes has been perfectly spot on. It's just just mind-boggling, mind-blowing, however you want to put it. It it just doesn't make any sense. I just cannot see an answer for it. And yeah, it was... Just as it isn't weird enough, you've always got the guy who lost his belt happy that his friends got the belt instead because of some weird tag match ruling and the referee deciding to go with one pin, not the other. What's the upswing? There, there's, there's none. There can't be. I mean, aside from column inches, and as you said earlier, this isn't the publicity you want. You don't want someone writing going oh looks like anyone can turn up and win the wcw heavyweight title like oh who's gonna who's gonna be on next next week so regis or someone like that got might may as well be i mean uh, at least when we had Jalen and, and rodman they were just in sort of featured matches and they weren't champions or anything and for the best part they were actually not that god awful this is just i don't this, this is just weird it's just weird and i I don't want to say it, but I mean, this could be sort of an early nail in the coffin for for WCW in terms of ratings, if it isn't already. I mean, oh. God knows what the TV rating is going to be like in the next month. I mean, they're already sort of on the downturn again after that sort of 
little bump from April 10th. I mean, yeah, fast forward to this time next month, what are we going to be reporting on sort of less than twos or something <sighs> range-wise? Because it can't be a positive thing for range. Surely people are going to see this and go, this is ridiculous. How can I possibly be invested in a promotion that has, yeah, a less than cruiserweight as the world champion? <sighs> we <laughs> yeah that that's the noise that sums up the month really isn't it just exhaustion and deflation it's too early to say that bill bush and jerry jarrett were right when they said stay the course with sullivan and build sid and goldberg and turn this thing around slowly but like we end this month with as much pessimism as we ended last month with optimism pete kimber and i could not wait to watch Nitro on the 10th. We could not wait to see where this was. And if you, and if Pete Kimber had said, oh, and by the way, by the end of next month, you will have had four world champions and David Arquette will come out of the month with the belt. I would have sent him for a mandatory wrestling 20 years ago drug test. This is ridiculous. We've gone three hours. I don't have any more in me. I don't understand what, what's going on here. <laughs> I don't, He's going to main event the pay-per-view, guys. May 7th, David Arquette. Well, yeah. I mean, unless something happens on the next Nitro, which I doubt. Yeah, he's going to main event the pay-per-view okay. because that's well, the sort of big publicity thing, isn't it? That To put him on the, the card and say, look, we've got him on our pay-per-view as well as on TV. It is quite possible that they take the belt off of him before then. But, I mean, nothing will surprise me at this point. <coughs> nothing. Ru- Russo or Bischoff or Billy Kidman or Tori Wilson might be champion by Mason. <laughs> I have no idea. But that's enough. WCW has taken enough of our time today. This company is going to test my patience moving forward. Find us at Wrestling20YRS on Twitter. That's our personal show account. Uh, Bob Calling. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for sticking with it. Now's the time to plug away, sir. I know you have quite your you have your own podcasting network out there. Uh, I do, and this was a good time, even if it's uh, a headache and a half. I might need a drink after this, and I haven't had one in like two years, so good riddance for that. Uh, yeah, I have uh, wrestlingrecaps.com for you know uh, wrestling show reviews, articles, magazine recaps, the likes of that. And also my own podcast with uh, Austin Skinner and Dallas Gridley, who recently joined the uh, team, where we're uh, covering Monday Night Raw's starting from the beginning. We're up to uh, February of 95, so we're marching right towards uh, WrestleMania 11. So that's Icopod, I-C-O-P-O-D. You can find it on uh, Podbean and all your favorite uh, podcast apps. Any chance we get a four-man booth for WrestleMania 11? Wink, wink. I'll talk to you off air. <laughs> Daniel, <laughs> best podcast name in the business, Icopod. Daniel DeWitt, we went an hour longer than I promised we would go, so thank you for not just going to bed 45 minutes ago. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. It was a crazy, crazy month to go through, but glad I could do it. And bizarrely looking forward to seeing how this goes with WCW for the next few months. It's going to be... Just I, I don't I don't know what it's going to be, do I? Who knows Who knows what it's going to be? It's just going to be bizarre and oddly compelling in a weird way. I think WCW 2000 is just a, a mysterious, bizarre adventure in, in in our futures. You know, compelling might be the most 
you know, not in the, the non judgmental, descriptive word of what's going on. Compelling. WCW is compelling. It's nothing if not that, is it? Sure, sure, mm-hmm. absolutely. Uh, two other volumes this month WWF and uh, Chris Lacey with ECW TV. I've gone long. Thanks for sticking with us. This was a lot to get through. I'm tired. The gentlemen are tired. I'm sure you're tired. And until next time, goodbye.